are now tuned in to this week's episode of our podcast. Today, we are going to interview some of the greatest and most influential minds in our field. By sharing our collective expertise, we will show you how to harness, control, and use your own skill set to achieve ultimate success and live the life you want. And now, please welcome your host. Hi, welcome back to the Pandemic University Podcast. I'm your host, Bryson. Also, this is my first time actually introducing myself. Anyway, today I decided I record an episode talking about some of my insecurities. I felt like, I don't know, opening up would be a way to help people feel more comfortable with theirs. And I thought, why not talk about it? So, uh, yeah, I hope you enjoy today's episode. Hi, so today I want to do an episode about insecurity, I think. I say that with a question mark because uh, I know at least talking a little bit about that is going to be the starting point. And then where this will go in relation to that, I actually have no clue. I really didn't plan it out. The thought just came to me and I was like, you know, I can record a podcast episode out of this. So that's the plan. Um, But yeah, uh, I don't really know why the thought came to me or why I thought that I should record an episode about it. But I figured why not? Relatable content, maybe. Who knows? I should know, right? This is my podcast, but you know, whatever. So yeah, insecurity. And I guess when, I don't know, I guess I'm going to start by talking about a couple of my own. I grew up very shy. Um, I was super shy for a long time. Don't really know why. Don't have a, a reason for why I was so shy, but I was. Um, everything used to make me super timid or things didn't make me timid, but I was super timid in all of my like whatever situation I ended up in growing up, and I didn't know how to handle it, so I often, like, hid or ran away from it. I'm also an introvert, which I think I've said before, but new podcast, so yeah, I am an introvert, which, like, as far as being super introverted, like, it's not that bad. Uh, uh, Being introverted does not mean being antisocial. I know a lot of people get those two things confused, like, oh, you're an introvert, so you must hate socializing. Absolutely not. I love it. Um, It's just that uh, my introvertedness shows up in that I struggle to maintain conversation sometimes. Like, uh, well, one thing is I suck at small talk, but if I have nothing to say, I won't speak. So I can be in a room full of people, and if I just can't find something to say, I just won't talk. I can sit quiet for hours. Um, I can also go on and talk a lot, but most of the time I'll be in a space with people. And uh, yeah, if I have nothing to say, if I, especially if I feel like I have nothing to contribute to a conversation, I'll just sit quiet. And that's perfectly fine with me. A lot of people get this impression that, oh, he's quiet. There must be something wrong. No, I just have no words. <laughs> I literally have no words for the situation I'm in right now. So I'm just sitting quietly enjoying the, the company of the people when not necessarily I'm having anything to say. Uh, as far as my social battery, um, I don't know. It doesn't like run out. Like I, I can spend a lot of time around people all the time but what i can also do is spend weeks in my own room like i can do both one doesn't really like i don't need one to recharge the other necessarily but people can go a week two weeks without seeing me and that's just because i don't really like i love social interaction but i realize i don't need it all the time um there are definitely times i do need it but i don't need it all the time so if i have it all the time i'll i'll be there 
all the time, like taking advantage of it. But if I don't, then I will be in my room. That's just something that I can do. Yeah. What's what's another way that it shows up? Um, I know it used to be really bad. Like I used to not be able to hug people. Like uh, I went to a, a camp in the eighth grade and at the end of it, everyone was hugging each other goodbye and it was freaking me out. And I got hugs from two people and I had to sit down because the two hugs drained all of my energy. And I was starting to like breathe really hard because I lost my breath. So I used to be way worse <laughs> as far as being an introvert than I am now. But yeah, being an introvert definitely shows up as an insecurity sometimes, not all the time. Like I'm not going to say I'm proud to be an introvert, but like I've just learned to live with it. Like it's okay. It's just who I am. But like when I am in social situations where I just like I have no words, especially when it's people I'm really trying to get to know, it really uh, it sucks. It makes like I leave walking away and I'm like really disappointed that I didn't get to make a better impression or that I, you know, I couldn't find things to say. So, yeah, that's something that I struggle with. Even sometimes like uh, I can I talk to my, both my parents a lot, but like my mom being a life coach, um, I can talk to her more just because I am always looking for solutions to problems. And so I go to my mom a lot with issues because I especially of the emotional nature, because I know that she you knows she can give me suggestions and solutions. And I absolutely love talking to my dad about like uh, sports and especially politics. I talk to my dad about politics all the time. But like if I have no topic to really bring up, I can just stand in silence around both of them. <laughs> I literally and it's not that I don't want to talk to my parents I just have nothing to say and that kind of bothers me too because I'm just like I'm here with them and I, I want to talk but I there's nothing from there I have I haven't thought of anything to talk about so I have nothing to say um and that upsets me sometimes it it really does because yeah like getting older I'm going to see them less and less and so I just I wish I had more to talk about I just don't <laughs> the brain just shuts off it's like yeah no you're, you're good you're good you can just sit in silence and yeah that's what I'll do um it's really bad when I'm around another introvert who might have like social anxiety because um, then we'll just sit in silence together for a really long time. <laughs> a uh, friend of mine, we've been friends for a while now. Um, I, I'm going to say her name because it's a funny story. And if she hears this, I hope she gets a good laugh out of it. But uh, a friend of mine named Rosie, um, one of the first times we hung out after like having just like met each other at another friend's birthday party but yeah one of the first times we hung out it was at a starbucks and we kept looking down at our phones like watching the time and then when we finally got into the flow of a conversation we were timing to see how long we could go before we went back to silence just because <laughs> neither of us had uh could find anything to say and it was a really awkward experience and we ended up hanging out for like three hours and more than half of it was spent in just awkward silence I can say we both definitely come a long way from that, but I do have like a looming fear of, of going back to that. And I can, I can very easily in social settings. And, um, yeah, there's only, there's only bad memories associated with like my introverted nature taking over. So it does, it's definitely something that worries me a lot. I've never really been afraid of not being liked. Let me take that back. I was afraid of not being liked in middle school. And then as the high school years went on, I started to care less and less and less and less. And now, you know, here in college, I really couldn't care less if people like me or not. It's a waste of time, <laughs> which like, I know that sounds like super like cold, but it is. Um, I know people who have this notion that, you know, they need everyone to like them. They need to go and make all of these friends. Um, I, I don't. If I make friends, great. I want to. But if, you know, if I don't make friends with some people, then that's okay. It's just what it is. If not everyone around likes me, I don't care. I'm not going to work to try to make you like me. That's a like, it's a waste of my energy. 
it's it's a it's kind of a waste of time and it's lying it's dishonest because if i'm working to make you like me and the only way for me to do that is to hide certain parts of my personality so that you do like me then you're not liking a real version of me you're liking a presented version of me and that's lying and i'm not gonna lie to you like once again that's a waste of time so you know that's never that hasn't been something i've i've struggled with for a long time but i do care about like um leaving a good impression on people they don't necessarily need to like me but uh i I, you know i do care about presenting myself in a respectable way in a way that's not mean i know i can be mean but i'm not a mean person it's just a trait i get from my mom because my mom can be cold and callous sometimes and it's just something i picked up but not, not mean I'm not a mean person. And so if I do set that impression on a person, I get kind of bothered, but not everyone's going to like me. So I just have to keep on living and move on. Um, Other insecurities. I'm insecure about my height. Um, Not as much as I used to be, thankfully, but I still am. Uh, I am 5'7". And, you know, one of the biggest roots of the insecurities because everyone else in my family's tall. Like uh, everyone on my dad's side is tall. He's 6'2". My aunt's like 5'9", I think. My uncle's 6'5". Um, you know, his parents were pretty tall. Uh, my older brother is 6'1". My sister's 5'8". And, and then on my mom's side, like my mom's 5'9". My grandmother's 5'11". Um, most of her sisters are pretty tall. So her brothers, uh, my grandmother's brothers and sisters, so my aunts and uncles. The only really short person um, in my family is my grandfather on my mom's side, who's 5'6". And so I'm like really bothered because sometimes I think I've been cursed with his genes. And yeah, it, it, it was an insecurity for me. And I'm going to just be honest because I'm on, I've been honest this entire recording. Uh, like the height was an issue for me because, you know, I was insecure about it when it came to basketball. Uh, I was like, man, if I was taller, I'd be better. Obviously, that's a lie. Uh, hard over height, right? But that's just something that's on the back of your head. I, I've always wanted to be able to dunk, and the closest I got to it was like being able to grab the rim. But a knee injury, you know, has prevented me from ever getting higher than that. So uh, that's just, you know, it's an unfortunate reality I have to live with unless I get rehab. But that's besides the point. Um, I've also, like, the height has been an issue for me because girls, ooh, whoop de doo. But yeah, <laughs> um, going through middle school, going through high school, I was like, oh, I'm too too short for so many girls that i i might like or you know like girls don't like short dudes or whatever um all of these these things you know uh the insecurities turn into excuses so that's something that has is not so much a big issue for me anymore but it's still like there in the back of my head um i ain't insecure about it because my sister is taller than me but she's younger than me and so when we go out and about people think i'm the younger brother and people like i get called kid even now and i'm like i'm a college student man like she's a junior in high school like i'm not i'm not the kid here she is you know um but yeah oh and i'm also like i'm really small um i'm 5'7 I'm and i'm really skinny and uh i know i talked about this in my second podcast episode but putting on weight has been a struggle without the gym for me because i'm really scared to put on weight in an unhealthy way and the only way I know how to healthily put on weight is also from working out at the same time. Um, it's just the way I learned to do it. So yeah, uh, my height and my size are insecurities. That still trouble me um, every now and then. Um, just like, especially when I'm out. Like when I'm out in public places and I see a bunch of dudes who are just like bigger than me, one of the biggest reasons it's an insecurity is because it's like if I ever needed to defend myself, I just couldn't. Um, 
it, it makes me freak out when I'm out in public. If I'm like walking by, all I've walked by are guys who are like super tall or like really big because I'm like, if it, if it's a situation where like I get in trouble, I need to defend myself. Like I'm a goner. There's nothing I can do. So yeah, that's definitely, definitely something I, I, you know, I still struggle with a little bit and it's like nonsense. Uh, the height and the size thing are, uh, especially in relation to, you know, when I think about relationships, that's a nonsense insecurity, like, um, something I know, and I firmly believe it's like, it doesn't matter, you know, and not to say that people don't care about it. They do, but that's none of my business if they do or not. You know, when you, when you go out, and trying to get people to like you or like you have a crush on someone or you want someone to like you back um if there's a trait about you um that in general they're just not fond of um whether it's a certain way they want people to look or your height or your size or whatever and you just don't you know hit that preference of theirs or whatever you just kind of move on in fact like you know i've learned to just move on but yeah that's just like something you have to do it's really none of like it shouldn't bug you that a person has that preference and that you just don't fall into their preference because then that person's not for you. So then you just need to go, okay, cool. I'm going to look for someone, you know, who, who sees these traits about me and like, it doesn't matter to them or maybe they prefer them. You know, it's as simple as that. <laughs> I know like nowadays there's this big thing where it's like you shame people for having preferences. Like um, somebody might w- not want to date someone short. Someone might not want to date someone a certain weight or who looks a certain way. And it's like, how dare you like you're you're a bigot for not doing that but like yeah and you know my mindset is if you force someone to to feel guilt tripped into you know disregarding their preference to like you and or like a person and you know get romantically inclined with a person it then they're lying too and so now you're in this dishonest relationship so like i don't know like take your insecurity recognize it and say you know it's cool not everyone is 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 going to be for you and just with the stuff that makes you you and just you know move on with that move on with your life um so even though i'm insecure about it i know not to give it too much time and attention when it comes to just living because it doesn't benefit me it's it is a like it would be giving attention to a thought that like is wasting time and where i could be thinking about something else where instead i could be thinking like all right even though like i'm this way what can i still do or just just literally anything else besides the thing that's making me insecure and it's a struggle, but it's a struggle that I really practice trying not to give any power. And I guess that's the best thing you can try to do. Try not to give your insecurities any power. Because they only have as much power as you give them at the end of the day. They only have as much power as you give them. So, yeah, work toward that. As far as other insecurities, and <laughs> this is a dumb one, I have uh, allergies. I'm allergic to dairy. Uh, I'm allergic to grass, believe it or not like i don't know what kind of grass but some grasses make me like super itchy like extremely itchy um i'm allergic to pollen i'm allergic to dust i who like who isn't allergic to dust um i don't know what else i'm allergic to but like the the pollen and the dust thing is like year round so i always have the sniffles and i'm always sneezing um it only gets worse if i consume dairy at all and pizzas are irresistible so what am i going to do about that right and um yeah i sneeze all the time i have to blow my nose all the time and like when I'm out with people or when I'm doing something, you know, I find that like having to blow my nose can be disruptive. And yeah, that that is definitely something that bothers me when it's like, man, I've been sitting for half an hour now without having to blow my nose or without my nose being runny. And now I have to do it. So now I have to get up from where I am right now, from where I'm sitting and like go get some tissue and blow my nose privately in a room and then clean my hands, especially with COVID going on. Like I'm not sick. I just have allergies. So like 
whatever's coming out of my nose literally cannot make you sick um it's just my allergies but yeah so it's a process and i feel like man like i hate when people look at me when i'm when i'm doing that as well because it feels nasty like it feels nasty to me so it's like yeah don't look at me right now i'm gross <laughs> that's that's kind of how i feel about that and uh that's that's something i have to deal with yearly and like, you know, people who are friends with me, like, I'm, I know for a fact the sniffling gets on people's nerves. It gets on my mom's nerves. But I'm just like, eh, medicine doesn't help. Medicine just makes it worse. Like, the only remedy is, is apple cider vinegar, really, or like lemon water or tea. But uh, to drink that constantly, it's like, hey, yeah, you know, it's a uh, it's not necessarily something that's cheap and something that's convenient to do all of the time to keep a flask of lemon tea on me. <laughs> to keep my nasal pathways open so yeah that's that's something that like really really bugs me and it's just the allergies it's just the allergies but it's just once again it's something that you know i've got to live with uh most of the time I, I just don't pay attention to it thankfully there are moments where it's definitely disruptive and most of the time i don't pay attention to it i'm gonna live like this for the rest of my life right so i can't really let that one bug me all the time otherwise i'd be too scared to do anything um but yeah you know, into insecurities. Um, I, I, yeah. I, again, I don't know why I thought today would be a good day to talk about them, but uh, yeah, it is. It's it, it just. I figured it, it'd be a good episode to do because I know tons of people. You know, have their things that they struggle with. Oh, I look this way. Oh, I talk funny. Oh, I sound funny. Oh, like I'm only this tall. I'm not athletic or yada 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 yada. yada. A lot of the things about you are kind of permanent, so just own it. Own who you are. And listen, like, I I say this as harshly as possible. Stop looking for people to make you feel comfortable in your own skin. They will not. It's always nice when people do that. I'm not saying it isn't. It's a good thing when they do. But if you need that, you're in trouble. Um, it's not people's job to do. That's that's something you have to come to terms with yourself. You need to be your own source of happiness and your own source of security, period. There's nothing like that's it. And that is a lifelong goal you work towards. You will not work for it for a week and then have it. It will go away as soon as it comes. It is something that always has to be ever present in your mind that I'm working toward self-happiness and I'm working toward self-security. And and yeah, that's it. Like take your take your stuff and own it and also be aware that people are going to make fun of you for it and they're going to make you feel bad about it. And so what? <laughs> like is so what? Um, you're going to have days where, you know, those things dig deep. They definitely do for me. And it's just like, cool. I'm, a, I'm, a, I'm, if it's going to do this for a little bit, cool. It can do this for a little bit, but it's not going to have the rest of my day. I'm not going to give this the rest of my day. It can have five minutes. I can feel bad about it for five minutes. <laughs> then, then I got to keep living. That's, it's as simple as that. Um, you got to keep living. Life isn't going to stop for you. And if you stop, life is going to keep going and leave you behind, um, especially when it comes to things like this. So, yeah, just make it make it a goal to to be to be your own source of security. Ask for help. Um, You might need help with it. Ask for help. But, yeah, becoming dependent on others to do that for you is dangerous. That's a dangerous game. <laughs> but, um, yeah, uh, yeah, I want I kind of want this one to be helpful more than anything else um not the most like fun episode in the world but uh i feel like opening up and sharing those and and leaving that i don't know little message like it can might be able to help someone feel more comfortable um you can reach out and talk to me about whatever like this is you know i want to build community through this podcast you know like it i'm i'm open to, to hear about people's stuff like because uh, it's a journey 
it is a long journey. It is a marathon, not a sprint <laughs> to to become more okay with like who you are. I know just as much as like the, the superficial things that make you insecure, there's like a lot of people to just get insecure and, and feel bad about like what they're capable of doing or what they're not capable of doing. Um, like, ah, uh, man. Okay. <laughs> I've taken art for like three years back in high school and I'm pretty good at graphic design. Um, haven't done it as much recently, but I'm pretty good at it. But I suck at painting. I can't paint to save my life. I'm not the greatest at drawing either. Um, even when I did graphic design and I had my group, I was not even the best designer in that group. In fact, I was the worst. I will openly admit that all of my group mates were better than I am. But, and I know when, when you're, when people get into situations where like they're the worst at something, that can be like a huge source of like insecurity. That can make you feel like awful. Uh, but that means two things. Like first, you're always better than somebody. So if that gives you any comfort, just know that you will always be better than someone at something. Um, there will always be someone worse than you uh, but also like um make do with what you got keep doing what you're good at and if you're not good at something either keep working at it or just be like this isn't my thing and just accept that i spent years playing basketball and i'm just like eh, at it. i'm kind of i'm just average just i've just like, finally acknowledged like yo this isn't my thing like i i enjoy playing it it's fun um but i'm never gonna be like great that's totally okay if i want to get great i absolutely can like it's not a defeatist mindset like if i want to get great i'll practice every single day for multiple hours a day for years and get coaches and get trainers and i can get great but i don't want to do that <laughs> i i don't want to do that i i like it but not that much so um and, ooh, that's like a that's a huge huge point i want to make um if if you're not great at something, but you're not willing to put in all of the time and effort it takes to get great at that thing, don't be sad that you're not great at it. Just, you know, find contentment, like become content in that, okay, here's where I am. And this is the amount of work I want to do. So this is as good as I'm going to get. You just got to leave it there. It'll make you so much more happy. Like when I started doing that, I just started to get so much more happy because I'm just like, yeah, no, this is, this is all the work I want to put in. So this is where I want to be like. So this is fine where I am. <laughs> if I want to get better, I'll put in more work. But as of right now, I just don't feel like it. And I'm not going to put in more work. And a lot of people will say like, oh, I don't have time to put in more work, right? Like I have all these other things to do. But um, that's a lie. You always have time. The thing the thing about time is is that it's flexible. So you, you want to get super good at that thing you feel bad that you're not good at, but you're also doing all of these other things. You might want to drop some of those other activities. Um, if you take, if, if you want to get super good at painting, but you also watch a lot of TV or you want to get super good at, uh, at a sport, but you also spend a lot of time hanging out with people, you might need to drop that other activity or like reduce the hours. Um, so you can focus on the thing that you want to get good at. So you can feel better about it because there's time. This is what you do with your time. If you sleep a lot too, you might want to cut some sleeping hours out so you can spend more time honing your craft. And, and sometimes it's just about like having the one thing and sticking to the one thing. You can't be great at everything. Ooh, that voice crack. <laughs> but uh, no, you can't be great at everything. Some people can be great at everything, but those people are rare. Um, so don't try to be those people. You know, work with them what you, what you have and, and what you can do. And uh, yeah, I think I think this will be the last thing I talk about with this episode. Uh, and everybody who is, you know, um, that's, you know, at some point in their life where, where they're content with where they are, will say this, but stop comparing yourself to others. I know that's like the most cliche thing anybody can say is like, stop comparing yourself to others. But seriously, compare you to you, like 
compare the you now to the you six months ago or to the you yesterday or to the you a couple years ago. Don't compare yourself to others. The only time it is appropriate to compare yourself to others is when it's constructive. If you and this person are together working to get better at something and you're comparing yourself to each other as like uh, as a way to set milestones, not as a way to um, belittle each other, to feel bad about yourself. It's even OK to like do that competitively, you know, um, me and a friend of mine back in high school, so many friends back in high school. Right. Uh, in math, we we helped each other a lot, like in in and out of class, especially when the SATs were coming along. Um, and she's way smarter than me. Like she's so much smarter than I am. But um, and I don't know if she knows I did, but I, I was always comparing myself to her, but never to make myself feel bad. Like this friend of mine was a miles like she was she was where I set like my goals. Um, and so if she did better than me, I never felt bad about myself. It was just like, okay, may I need to ask her like how she answered this question or like what method she used to find this answer and and how she's taking her tests, you know, so I can so I can practice and like I need to practice more so I can reach that milestone because at you know when it when it came to math, me setting my own uh, milestones, it, it wasn't um it wasn't an effective way to get better. So I I used my friend as like my my way to gauge how good I needed to do in the class, and I ended up doing better in the class, but I I never. Never once did I feel bad if I did like worse than her. I felt bad if I underperformed myself. Like once I got top marks on a test, if I took another one and did poorly, my feeling bad was because I underperformed the level I just achieved. Not because she did better than me that day and I, you know, underperformed against her. No, it's like, all right, here's my level now that I've gotten here. This is the level I need to stay at. So compare yourself to to yourself. And if you're going to compare yourself to others, it needs to be constructive. It has to be constructive. Even tell the person that you are. Even tell like the person you're comparing yourself to, hey, I'm competing against you in my head so I can do better. Just like just know that um, <laughs> it even helps like if you, if you want to go ask for help, which you absolutely should. Um, and that can that can make you a million times better at the thing you're working towards. So just don't don't compare yourself to others in a destructive way, in a way that's like, oh, look at how bad I am or look at how pathetic I am or yada, 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 because then you'll never get any better. You're just going to feel bad. And once again. That's kind of a waste of time. And if you've noticed the trend with me, I do measure things and whether or not they are a waste of time. Um, I want to waste time on my terms and not on my emotions terms. Um, so if I'm wasting time watching TV, I want to waste time watching TV because I've decided that the day I chose to watch TV was OK to waste time on. Not because I feel bad. And so I'm going to sit giving thoughts and attention to something that there's nothing I can do about, like that I have no control over. Um, so, uh, maybe my time wasting metric isn't a good one. And so I'll say then it's unhealthy or I'll say then that it won't get you to where you want to get to, or I'll say that it's, it's going to make you a worse person because you'll spend so much time sad in these thoughts that, uh, it's going to reflect outwardly and people are going to see that on you. And so maybe if you care about your outward appearance, you might not want to spend time feeling bad about your insecurities, projecting your insecurities. Um, sulking over the fact that you're not as capable as something that you want to be because that that'll show up so yeah with the things you can't control whether it be you know your height or your size or whatever like just own that and for the things you can't control um like that thing you want to get better at work more for it um and acknowledge when you've reached your plateau you can't get any higher and become content with that i think that's the bigger one just acknowledge when you've reached your maximum and that's okay but um yeah that's what today's episode is about and I hope this one was helpful for some for somebody. Um, and yeah, I hope someone could take something good away from this. Anyways, 
This has been the Pandemic University Podcast. I thank you very much for listening, and I'll see you in the next one. Progressive presents The Sounds of the Old World. The year is 2019, and someone is waiting for the previews to start in a movie theater. Hey, you want anything? Popcorn? Soda? No, nothing. This has been The Sounds of the Old World. Brought to you by Progressive, where drivers can still switch and save like it's 2019. Quote today at Progressive.com. Progressive Casualty Insurance Company and Affiliates. Have you ever wanted to create your own Wager Talk Dream Team? We're excited to announce you can build your own superstar handicapping lineup using our Pick Your Team program at wagertalk.com. Even more exciting, for a limited time, you can save up to 55% on your favorite two or three handicappers and pay as little as $1.99 for a full month of picks. Dave Koken, Marco D'Angelo, Yanni the Greek, Ralph Michaels, Teddy Covers, Hakeem Prophet, Tony Finn, Rob Vino, Brian Leonard. The combinations are endless. Who will make your Dream Team lineup? Just go to wagertalk.com, click pick your team, and personally hand-select your handicapping roster. Our Dream Team promotion is only being offered for a little limited time before going back to regular price, so please make sure to take advantage of this incredible offer. And away we go. Here it is. It is now a Thursday, January the 21st. Welcome in. To the NBA tip-off show. It is powered by wagertalk.com. Three games on the NBA slate today. So uh, we will forego what we normally do here and break these games up a little bit. We're just going to cover all three games for you, including the Bucks Lakers. We're going to talk Knicks, Golden State Warriors, and of course the Pelicans taking on the Utah Jazz. And Let's bring in the crew here. The gentleman going to break these games down for you. Three of the very best when it comes to two of the very best. I'm sorry, I didn't see Tony Finn there at the bottom. Two of the very best there. And then a guy who's got an ankle bracelet on. But Ski Profit, welcome in, my friend Brian Leonard in the house as usual. And uh, there he is, Tony Finn, uh, making it back by popular demand. We love uh, Tony. Only kidding. Uh, great day uh, last night, of course, on the show. Uh, you guys uh, were not here, Ski. Um, you had the day off, but uh, another contrarian winner there. We talked about the Sixers and Boston. Uh, our good friend Andrew McGinnis uh, went ahead and nailed the Sixers there. It was the contrarian game that we talked about. Now 10-1. and one. 
Uh, we will have to skip a contrarian play today because uh, not a whole lot of craziness going on, except for maybe that Lakers Bucks game. We'll get to that in a minute. But Ski, how you been, man? How was your uh, how was your night last night? You are absolutely rolling in the NBA, man. So what do you got going on for us today? What do you got coming up here at WagerTalk.com? I'm happy to see that contrarian keep it going. Yesterday I had a good day. My best bet was on the Mavericks. And I had a three in one day, I believe. So good day. And um, we'll hope to keep it going tonight. Right. I have a best bet up and I have uh, two more plays that I sent to subscribers. And, and one of them is a free play as well. So you All can right. check my page for the free play. Get to Ski's page at wagertalk.com. Make sure you're also following him uh, at his uh, at Ski Profit there on Twitter. Also, always great information coming your way. Brian Leonard in the house, fresh off the set. Of puck time earlier this morning, crushing it in uh, in hockey, my friend. And how has the NBA been treating you? And what do you got going on today at Wager Talk? Yeah, I lost in the NBA yesterday, but had been on a nice little run. Uh, yeah, over at uh, Wager Talk right now, I've got a uh, nice uh, spot play in college basketball. I've had this game circled, and the line's even better than what I thought it was going to be. I also have two NHL plays, and instead of paying individually for both, you get them both in the same package for $29. As for the NBA, I'm going to give you my best play right here on the show as we speak. So up on the site, two hockey, one college basketball, and we'll have to wait just a couple minutes to get that NBA best bet. All right, I love it. That is what we call a tease, ladies and gentlemen, boys and girls. Very nice, Brian. Not his first rodeo. Speaking of rodeo, uh, let's bring it. Where is he? Tony Finn, my man. How you been, brother? It's been, uh, it feels like not long enough, but, uh, how are you, Dan? What's going on in the NBA? What do you got to wait to talk? Uh, everything's great. I could win a few more games without question and lose, uh, and lose less, but life's good. I, I you know, yeah, you, you guys know me. It's a good day when I wake up. So let's go at it. Let's talk basketball. I, I, by the way, I do have, I don't have anything up. I have my place entered. I'm putting packages together as soon as you and I get done, Joe. All right. Well, let's keep him on point then and uh, get that while uh, while he still can. So let's start with the first game here tonight, guys. Game number one, the game that a lot of people have circled here on the calendar and looking forward to. And I know certainly Ski is looking forward to this. Lakers, Bucks here, guys. Now, interesting enough, this is – it started going the Lakers, at least it opened up a little bit the Lakers' way. I'm starting to see the Bucks now. There's some question on whether or not LeBron is going to play, but I feel like that's every day is questionable along with Anthony Davis. Right now I'm seeing twos across the board. Opened up uh, – I'm seeing 228 pretty much still right around that 228, a couple of 229s out there. So, Ski – Let's start at the top, my friend. Lakers, LeBron, possibly, not possibly. How do you even keep track of this Lakers team in this game tonight? Uh, well, I've been having success following them lately. Um, I, this is the kind of road that I want the Lakers in. When, for one, they're off of a loss, and they don't usually lose back-to-back games, and they're on the road. And I always talk about they take pride in winning on the road. Uh, they've won all seven this year. And going back to the beginning of the season last year, they're 41 and 11 straight up. And you're just asking them to win the game. Uh, I look at Milwaukee. I don't, I think they, they beat up on lesser competition. And when they play the tougher teams, uh, it's not as good. And this year they're one and four against the spread versus 55% when teams are greater. And the Lakers are the opposite. They're four and one uh, versus better competition. So I know the Lakers will come to play. I don't think it's a question if LeBron's going to play. 
uh, like you said, this is every day, and they continue to play. I don't see why this game they would pick to sit out. I think the Lakers bounce back. Uh, I like them to win. I don't think they need any points. And I also think, I mean, if you like Milwaukee, I think you wait because you know Anthony mm. Davis and LeBron are going to play, and the line's going to go in your favor. So uh, that's how I feel about the game. I like the Lakers, and I like the I like the under too. Um, I know the Lakers are a great defensive team. Um, I, it's it's pretty. It's been laid out how to stop Giannis, and I just think both teams can play a decent amount of defense, and this one stays under the number two. The, n- the number I have for the game was 225 and a half, mm. so I think it's a decent edge. All right, a little bit of an edge there. It's on the, uh, on the total. Both of these teams there, uh, Brian Letter coming off of uh, the losses, uh, interesting losses there with the Lakers uh, melting down against uh, Golden State and the, uh, the Bucks not being able to hit a three at the buzzer, but how do you have these two teams right now at this point in the season? Do you give the edge to Milwaukee at home? Yeah, this is a game I definitely want to watch. I don't know if I want to play because I want to bet on both these teams. Uh, Ski mentioned the Lakers all, you know, off of a loss. They're 3-1 against the spread off of a loss. Milwaukee 5-0 and against the spread off of a loss. You go back you know, the last two or three years, Milwaukee's been a team who is great in revenge and great off of a loss. So I don't want to go against them. But I also don't want to go against the Lakers here, especially after they blew that 14-point lead um, last last night. So it's a situation to me where I think the better play, and uh, it was talked about a little bit, is the under here. You take a look at possession line defensively. Milwaukee's uh, last in the league. The opponents take 14.8 seconds uh, per possession, which is last in the league. And if you look at these teams you know, from a defensive uh, strength of schedule, they both played very easy schedules so far defensively. Lakers 30th, Milwaukee 28th. Uh, with the consideration of how much this game means for each team, obviously for bragging rights, because these are two of the best teams in the NBA, I think the under may be the way to go here. I think Ski's right on it. All right, under it is. And, uh, Tony, uh, listen, you followed the Lakers this year. We know what we're getting with uh, Milwaukee. Uh, They are definitely both teams coming off a loss are going to be ready to rock and roll here. Who do you give the edge to, if any, in this game? Well, I would I put a free a free play out, and I did I played Milwaukee, but Ski's right about waiting on. If you're going to play Milwaukee, you're going to be better off waiting. So maybe you might get a little better than a than a pick or a minus one or whatever the case may be. I, I haven't looked at it this morning, but last night when I put the free pick up, I think it was about a pick or a minus one, one of the two. Uh, listen, the Lakers are seven and zero on the road. They're one and six. Overs to unders as a visitor. When they get on the road, Ski's correct. They take a lot of pride, and that pride rests defensively. They hang their hat on being able to get stops. Uh, there's there's a few numbers here that I find pretty interesting. Last year, Milwaukee was one of the best teams, uh, not to, I think 37 points in the paint, opponents scoring 37 points in the paint. This year, they're still in the top five. Uh, they're allowing a little more of that 40 or 42, and their schedule hasn't been difficult. Um, the Lakers get about 50 points a game this year in the paint. They've all, you know, that's, that's who they are. They're not going to be, although, um, most would argue, maybe even ski would argue with the fact that, uh, I thought they took way too many threes last year during the, during the playoffs, they ended up winning, but that's what this team is. And, uh, and both of these guys mentioned the under my best bet is the under And this. I don't know if I'm jumping the gun on that or not, but, uh, that's, that's what I like here at 228 229 is where I got to this morning. I think it's a little bit high. I think this is a, a game that's going to be played hard. And and 
for this to go over one of these two teams, you got to shoot better than fifty percent in the field. Yeah, it's it's interesting. Seven and zero, the Lakers on the road this season. Uh, and, and Ski, I'll just I'll ask you: the Lakers and Milwaukee at this point just seem like they understand. Let's just pace ourselves and let's get to the playoffs, and let's not worry about a random Thursday night in the middle of the season. How do you see it? I think the opposite. I think Milwaukee has quite a bit to prove, um, especially after losing their last game too. I think they have to show that that they're good, but I don't think that they are. I think they got worse as a team. And if the Lakers had won the last game, I think they would maybe come in with a little easier mindset, like you said, Joe. But after the loss, I think both teams will be focused today. All right. And we got uh, pretty much 50-50 down the the middle there. A little more uh, money coming in on Milwaukee with the uh, minus two right now. But for the most part, they're split down the middle. Uh, Let's take a look at the New York Knicks. Game number two here. Knicks taking on the Golden State Warriors in this matchup. Uh, it opened up five and a half. I'm seeing four and a half uh, now, pretty much. Uh, a five or two also opens up at 216 as a total. I'm seeing 215, 214 and a half across the board. Brian, let me start with uh, with you, my friend. This uh, next team seems to, uh, they're coming along. They're getting better and better every game. Golden State, uh, you know, the vintage Golden State in that last game against the Lakers where they came back and won being down double digits heading into the fourth. But how much do you trust Golden State in a matchup like this? Yeah, Golden State's a team that uh, is playing a little bit better than what I thought. You know, with the 8-6 and six record, uh, with the injuries they've had, I think they're doing pretty well. Uh, the, I watch these Knicks play. They're 7-8. and eight. A lot of people don't give them a lot of credit, but I like this Knicks team. They play very good defense. Uh, points for possession, number five in the league. Effective field goal percentage number two. Uh, this is a team, if they get any type of offense, they could be a tough team. And we've seen that in a few games this year where they get really hot from the outside. And it's going to be really tough to beat the Knicks in that regard. I had this line a little bit cheaper for my power rating. So uh, Golden State coming off of the big victory over the Lakers. I think the line's a little bit high. I can understand it going down. Uh, I think you probably got another point of value on taking the Knicks here. Uh, lean that way, won't be betting it myself, but I can see the line move. Two totally different uh, contrasts here. you got a Knicks team who's going to look to slow it down there, Tony Finn, and you've got uh, a Golden State team that just wants to score as many points as humanly possible. So talk to me here as far as how you see this game is going to play out, the number hovering around four and a half for Golden State. Well, I, I would say this, arguably, uh, one of the teams that's been most impressive early on, as as uh, as Mr. Leonard said, they've surprised a lot. Me, they surprised me a little bit. This is going to be a playoff team. I'm convinced now they're going. You know, if Curry stays healthy, they'll be a playoff team. Uh, I don't. I, I'm. I lean to taking the Warriors as a dog. They. I think when they opened up the season, they opened up the first six games. They were underdogs four times. I think twice they weren't. That was against uh, Chicago and Detroit, I believe. But you know they were three and three coming out of the first six games, uh, and what they did first off, what they did against L.A. on Monday was more about that. I think the Lakers haven't uh, they have never won on Martin Luther King Day, if I'm not mistaken. Or, hey, you know it's been years, or at least quite a few games. So um, there's sometimes there's just days that you and I and the rest of this crew shouldn't be working. I guess Lakers shouldn't be playing on MLK Day. Um, they listen. They opened the dog. They opened the season three and three against the spread. I thought was impressive. While that was one, the covers was against 
Chicago and Detroit, and the other was against a team that can't stop anybody, being Portland. Um, this is a team that I think I'm looking forward to. Already, uh, they have some games coming up where they're going to be in Phoenix, and they I can't remember what the other game was, but I looked at them this morning after the, before the show, and I felt like they were going to be in a good spot where they were going to probably be getting five or six, maybe even more, on the road and thought they were going to be a good play. So today, the next, listen, Coach T, has done, Tibbs has done a great job with this team. Brian's right. They're seven and eight, and some of the teams they've beaten aren't pushovers. So what I've found with the Knicks so far is I think they're tough to gauge. I think they're tough to assess, and I'm not certain that you know what you're going to get every night with a team, and he's done more with – Tibbs has done more with less than anybody in the league. That's what I got. You got anything else? Did you leave anything out? You good? All right, good. Ski, let's go, uh, Ski. Talk to me here, my friend. Uh, Golden State, Wiggins is turning out to be a halfway decent sidekick to uh, to Steph Curry here. They've kind of, what have they covered? Six of their last nine overall. They've beaten the Knicks five of the last six at home. How do you have this game lined up here tonight? Yeah, they won two games in a row. Well, first off, that comment about Golden State that, um, that Tony Finn made, that's correct. And... Unfortunately, what? I took Golden State the first two games and then got scared off. <laughs> wait, 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 wait. Hold on. Did, did you just agree with Tony yeah. Finn? Wow. Holy shit. Mark this it, down. It, Mark this yeah. moment down on the tape. My that's word. Why, that's he wants something. Don't he wants it. something. And I'm he didn't win sure nothing. He lost a bet. <laughs> Go ahead, Ski. <laughs> yeah, in this game, though, I mean, I think somebody rests for Golden State. Wiggins was questionable yesterday. He has, like, they could rest him because of his knee. Or maybe somebody else gets the day off on a back-to-back. And for the Knicks, um, Alec Burke should be back in. That's a lot of points that they should get back, or at least another scorer. They've won two games in a row, I believe. I- I'd rather have Golden State, like Tony said, as a dog or close to pick them. I don't know that I want to be laying this many points right now on a back-to-back. So if I'm playing this one, I'll probably be grabbing the points with the Knicks. And um, if I'm playing the total, it has to be an under. I mean, these mm. games have been extremely low scoring. I think they're the lowest scoring team in the league. They average 100, 100 and a half points per game. So um, I like both teams' defenses. Um, Knicks want to play at extremely slow pace, and Golden State wants to play a little bit more of tempo, but I think the defense can hold them under. So Knicks and under is the way I will look. Knicks and under. All right, love it. Uh, we got one more game on the card here tonight. Late game, New Orleans taking on Utah. Actually, that's 10 They're both 10 5 there, the two West Coast games. Um, we'll go ahead and pull that up, but I do want to remind you guys as well right now at wagertalk.com, all three of these gentlemen, Ski Profit, Brian Leonard, and Tony Finn available. Put your own team together right now. Great opportunity, great promotion at WagerTalk. Uh, two or three of your favorite handicappers, you can save up to 55% on a 30-day all-access pass. Get every one of their plays by building your own team for 30 days. And you can save up to 55% right now by doing so. Why not put together these three gentlemen and make their own team? Utah opens up as a six-point favorite. They're getting some love, guys. I'm seeing a lot of sevens right now. 215 is what it opened up at. I'm seeing 216 and a half. This continues to rise as the Utah Jazz continue, as does the over, just to continue to roll in here. So, Tony Finn, let me start with you, my friend. Utah... Um, three weeks ago, a month ago, we were all scratching our head going, oh, not good. They have put it together, certainly as of late here. Do you trust them at home against this uh, this New Orleans squad 
as that number continues to rise. Seven right now is what we're seeing. You know how I feel about Coach Snyder. These guys know how. <laughs> they know how I feel about Snyder. So I think this line's more accurate than it was. You know, you, uh, New Orleans is coming off that um, that big performance against the defenseless Kings when they went into the first game of this two-game series. And I really liked the under in the first game. And it did crawl over uh, at late in the last minute of the game. But it, let's attribute to a couple things that uh, – the Jazz, if I'm not mistaken, hit 21 three-pointers. There was a, am I correct with that? 21 three-pointers, I think they hit that game, which is far above their their game average, obviously. So those points mattered. Um, we talked about this last year in the bubble. Snyder didn't have his bigs, decided he was going to play at pace uh, and forego and compromise his defense a little bit. They're really back to being they, – they, they continue – to get better defensively. They don't give up a lot of fast break points. They don't score a lot of fast break points. I like, and New Orleans, uh, with Alvin Gentry gone, uh, and the van as the coach, they want to slow the pace. And you can see it. You can see it. Every single one of their peripherals and, and their variables, they are slow to play. They didn't against the Kings because that's who the Kings are. I still like the under here. I, I'm not going to lay the points with Utah, but I do like the under again, 217, I believe. Longest current winning streak in the NBA this season. That's six in a row now for Utah. And you're right. The fact, uh, Tony, is that they have been shooting ridiculously lights out from three. They've made 20 or more three-pointers in four of their last six games, Ski. So sometimes that tends to ride itself back into the middle somewhere. Does it happen tonight? It was a pretty easy 118-102 win the first time around with these two teams. How do you have it? I want to say the Jazz were a good three-point shooting team last year. And, yes, these six wins have all come by, uh, what, average of 11.5 points. Mm. So the number I have for this game was eight. I'm not running to the window to bet the Jazz. If the Jazz would have lost last game or or maybe even not covered, it would have been a closer game, I would look towards the Jazz just because I know they've been playing better basketball. I think there will be value on the Pelicans soon. Uh, they've only won that one game that Tony mentioned against the defenseless Kings. But their comp- I mean, their schedule has been it's been tough. Clippers, Lakers, Mavericks, Jazz, they've been playing a really good team. So I think there'll be value on the Pelicans soon. I'm not quite sure if it's tonight. The closest play I can make in this game would probably be I like I would have to pick the under just because both teams play extremely slow. And last game it took that sixty point fourth quarter for it to just barely go over. So the only thing is Pelicans haven't been playing a lick of defense lately. And um I don't know if they can step it up tonight. I know Utah can, but if I'm playing this game, it would be the under. You know, Brian, it's interesting. They Zion had 32 in the first game here. He led all scorers. And Utah did a really good job of making sure nobody else hurt him in that game. Let Zion get Zion, but we'll, we'll limit the damage from Brandon Ingram and others. I, is the same game plan tonight in this, do you see? Yeah, I definitely think so. Uh Interesting from the line standpoint, the last game was six and a half. Now we're seeing sevens. Normally, if the team wins the first game convincingly, they expect to bounce back from the other team in the next game, and the line goes a little bit different. Uh, But I think the line is correct here. I had uh, Utah in the game against New Orleans the other day, and uh, it was while I was close at the half, they pulled away late. And obviously, when you're a three-point shooting team and you're hot from three-pointers, that's a big difference, and New Orleans does not shoot three-pointers, but they give up the most three-pointers in the NBA. Uh, the two things New Orleans does well, 
is they pound the offensive boards. They're fourth in the country in offensive rebounding percentage. And they pound the boards so the opposition does not get offensive rebounds. They're second in defensive offensive defensive uh, rebounding percentage. So you've got the two things that they do very well. But you take a look at Utah, they're fifth and ninth. So they're one of those teams that can compete with them on the glass, on the offensive glass, and keeping the opposition off the offensive glass. Uh, Utah's a team that shoots a lot of threes. Um, Pelicans don't defend the three. The matchup is just a bad matchup for the Pelicans here. Normally, you'd see a little bit of a bounce back from the team. But if you read the quotes from uh, New Orleans, they don't know what to do because they've getting beat by the threes all season long. They don't have the personnel to match it. Uh, they go inside and go with the big men. But, you know, until they can start defending from distance and play a team that's going to be um, struggling from distance, they're not going to cover, and I don't think they cover this game. I like Utah. All right, liking uh, Utah in this game here to make it uh, two in a row, and it's a good card tonight. For you know, we got only got three games. We'll have a bunch more tomorrow, but for the three games here, some really interesting matchups across the board. So we'll just run through it again uh, real quick for those of you just joining us. Ski, I'll start with you. Of the three games, what might be your best bet for the evening here for the show? Um, if I'm picking one for, for this one, I'll go with the, I'll go with the Golden State and, um, and New York under, I just, New York only scoring hundred points per game, only allowing 102 points per game. Uh, I know both teams will play defense. So I like the under in that game. All right. Going under. Go ahead. I just went, I just wanted to mention one thing, uh, from what, what Brian said, I said that it might be for the Pelicans, but I don't know. The coach doesn't seem like he knows what they're doing. Like you said, they don't have the personnel to match the three-pointer, and they still continue to play slow. So I don't know what they're doing. Interesting. All right, where are you going? Best bet here of the night. Talk to us. It'll have to be the Utah Jazz. Um, it's just the matchup situation. I, like I said, I used it the other day. Watched the game. Turned out exactly how I thought it was going to be. Uh, the lines telling me that the people that also watched that game thought that uh, – New Orleans wasn't going to be able to match them, and I agree. I, I just think it's a bad matchup for uh, the Pelicans, so I'll take the Jazz here. Seven's a decent number. It's one of the keyer numbers in, in the NBA. I don't want to lay more than that, but you can lay seven or less. The Jazz are the way to go. Interesting. All right there, Tony Finn. Might there be a contrarian play in you somewhere on the board here? Talk to us, my man. Where are you going? Well, I, I, I blew that earlier. Remember, I told you my best bet, uh, as I sent to you guys earlier, was the the Los Angeles Lakers and the Milwaukee Bucks under the 229 is what I got. I think it's, it's creeping down a little bit, but uh, how about what's this, what happened to the shits and giggles you used to do? How about, how about playing do you, under? You want a shits and giggles parlay? All right. Yeah, talk to me. Yeah, Come well, on. Okay. I was going to say I play under all three games tonight. And is that your three team shits and giggles parlay? I don't know. I don't want to step on your toes, Mr. Joe, because that's your play. No, i I love it that you just brought back the shits and giggles parlay. So let's do it. Are we doing a three-team or a two-team? Or which way you do You want to go under well, all three? I, I think so. I all think right. all of us would even agree to that, almost. Ski, what, what do you think? Giggles. Shits and giggles, three-team uh, under here tonight in each game? What do you think? Yeah, I'm down. I'll ride with that. All right, riding the shits and giggles. I didn't get a hell no from him, so that's good. Brian, what do you think? I'm going to play you- it. I'm gonna yeah, play it. I'm gonna play it in two seconds here, Brian. What do you think? Under and all three? <laughs> well, 
I'm in agreement on the shit. I don't know about the giggles. The giggles, yeah. It, it usually always happens that way. We always agree on the shits, never the giggles. It's unbelievable. Uh, Ski Robin, Brian Leonard, and, of course, Tony Finn, guys. Just a quick recap here of the best bets. Ski's going to go under 214 and a half on that Knicks Warriors game. Tony Finn likes the under in the Lakers-Bucks game. And Brian Leonard, he loving the jazz. He's back in a minus seven. Don't forget, guys. Ski, Brian, and Tony Finn available at wagertalk.com. Put your own damn team together. That's right. Two to three handicappers on your team. Save up to 55% 30-day all-access pass. Yours right now by uh, by heading over to wagertalk.com. Take advantage of that, guys. Not to mention best bets are up for today, and you might as well get that all-access pass and never have to worry about missing a play from any of these guys. So on behalf of Ski Profit, Brian Leonard, and... Tony Finn, who was we want to thank for being as coherent as long as he was for this show. We certainly appreciate it. But shits and giggles, baby. All three under is where we're rolling here. Hold the giggles with Brian Leonard. So, Ski, appreciate it. Brian, thank you, Tony. Come back, guys. Hit that bell in the upper right-hand corner. Hit the subscribe button. Come back and join us again tomorrow. We get to do it all over again here on the NBA Tip-Off Show. Best of luck on your games tonight, guys. We'll talk again tomorrow. Right now, you can lock in 30 days of Hakeem Profit's NBA plays, including 5% best bets for just $4.30 per day. A 30-day NBA pass is priced at $189, but you can lock in Hakeem's for only $129. Act fast as the price is going back to $189 at the end of the week. Progressive presents The Sounds of the Old World. The year is 2019, and someone is waiting for a table at a restaurant. Thompson, party of four. Thompson, party of four. Thompson, party... Oh, there you are. This has been The Sounds of the Old World. Brought to you by Progressive, where drivers can still switch and save like it's 2019. Quote today at Progressive.com. Progressive Casualty Insurance Company and Affiliates. Introducing Peacock, the new free streaming service from NBC Universal. It's hit movies, current shows, live sports, trending bits, and timeless hits. And that's why you can't not watch. Peacock, watch for free, upgrade for more. Stream now at PeacockTV.com. Law and Order SVU streaming now. Inspiring interviews with today's top landlords. This is the Rental Income Podcast. And now, Dan Lane. My guest on the podcast today is a rental property investor, and he also owns a property management company. And I think that puts him in a really unique spot because he can talk about what's working and what's not working for him, as well as for the properties he manages. He has some clients that are really successful with their rental properties and others that aren't doing so well. And I want to find out, the ones that are doing well, what are they doing? What are they buying? What kind of neighborhoods are they in? How do they want their properties run in comparison to the people that aren't doing so well with their rental properties? So let's take a really quick break. We'll thank our sponsors. We'll come right back, and we'll meet Lee Blackburn from Nashville, Tennessee. Being a landlord just became a lot easier thanks to Tenant Cloud. They have everything you need to manage your rental properties all in one place, from taking online applications to creating custom leases specific to your state and collecting rent online. And this is really cool. They actually have local contractors in your area to help you when you have a repair call. 
That's right, contractors in your area that are there for you when you need them. Everything is right there, all in one place. How much does it cost? Well, this is crazy. It's totally free to sign up. It's not a trial. It's free forever. They do have some paid plans, but it's totally free to sign up and get started. Just go to tenantcloud.com. That's tenantcloud, C-L-O-U-D, tenantcloud.com. The first step in buying a rental property is to get pre-qualified. And I would suggest you work with a lender that specializes in working with investors because the last thing you want to have happen is to get to closing and find out the money's not there and you can't close. The lender that I recommend is Chaley Ridge from Ridge Lending Group. She's a nationwide lender and she'll pre-qualify you for free if you mention Rental Income Podcast. Find out more today. Contact Chaley at RidgeLendingGroup.com. That's R-I-D-G-E LendingGroup.com. NMLS 42056. All right, now let's talk about management. So from what I've seen from my perspective as an investor, and I'm curious to see if you maybe see things differently as a investor and also a property manager, I feel like to have a successful portfolio, there's a lot of things you got to get right. You got to have good management. You've got to have the right tenant and you've got to have the right property. This might be hard to answer, but is there one thing that is more important or like one thing that you would say is the absolute most important thing you got to get right? It's the very expected cliche item, and that is location. Um, I, I think that that trumps really everything, especially from a from a rental property performance perspective. Because if if you buy in the wrong location, uh, it is absolutely going to negatively affect your bottom line, regardless if that uh, property is the shining star of the neighborhood. Um, if if the location is bad, um, it's going to be difficult to attract the very high quality tenants that most should be looking for. Um, and then, of course, that's going to lend to retention and property care and on-time rental payments and all the other things that do factor in uh, to to the bottom line uh, starts with the location of the yeah. property. Absolutely. That makes sense. I mean, you can't fix the location. I mean, you can always up your game on management or screen better. But if you have a bad property, you're kind of stuck with that. Have you seen clients you've worked with that maybe bought the wrong property and and th- there wasn't really much you could do for them because that the property was just going to be a problem? Unfortunately, um, many times, yes. Um, we, we, we see, um, and still to this day, we get calls from owners who have a property that's problematic for one reason or another, but generally it, it does uh, circle back to, it's just simply in a bad area. Uh, but yeah, they, they call, you know, I, I get a very common, um, implications of, well, I'm having a really hard time filling the vacancy or I filled the vacancy. Uh, but now my tenants not paying rent and calling me back. Um, or, you know, I fill the vacancy, but it seems like my tenants are moving out every eight or nine months. Um, so, you know, there's, there's a lot of circular activity. Uh, that occurs as a result of that. Um, and unfortunately, we do get those calls from distressed owners uh, kind of looking, not necessarily for a way out, but certainly looking for assistance to to get it restabilized. And, you know, th- the fact of the matter is, in, in some, if not many instances, it, it's just an impossibility due to the 
to the the nature of the property itself. Sure. Yeah. All right. Well, let me pick your brain about some of the things that you have seen work for property owners and some of the things that maybe haven't worked. And so like for the neighborhoods with, with, um, with location being so important, what is a location, a good location look like? What, like what should an investor be, be focusing on when they're looking for a good rental? Yeah. So, so from a broker perspective, we use the term, um, Basically, um, a, a focus on crime statistics is the best qualifier or reference to location. Um, you know, obviously, you know, people look at good schools. Um, that's not always uh, a make or break, um, especially in the Nashville market, mm-hmm. um, which is where we are operating. Um, but I, I think um, if if you can boil it down to it's either a high crime area or not, that's really going to kind of tell the story that you need to know. Right. Um, doesn't have to be uh, necessarily, you know, zero crime ever high end type neighborhood. But if you do see, you know, if you do your your due diligence and you find the crime stats to be uh, exceptionally high or even above average, uh, for a, a, a municipality, I would definitely uh, steer clear because in most cases, um, from my experience and perspective, you should be able to find something that's at least an average or better uh, from a from a crime perspective. Right. OK. So in those high crime areas, do, do you just see more turnover? You know, maybe the tenants got, got their house broken into or their car gets broken into and they just don't feel comfortable there. Like a good tenant probably doesn't want to live in a bad area. Is, is that kind of what you're seeing that, that it, it just like causes more turnover or are you just attracting a, a tenant that's just going to be maybe more difficult to work with? Yeah, that's a, that's a great question. And the answer is both. Um, okay. So we, we absolutely would see both um, of, of those examples. Um, on the one hand you have, you know, the people that know the neighborhood and kind of know what's going on around there and um, kind of get into it, um, maybe with not the best intentions, perhaps um, kind of knowing what they're dealing with already. And then, you know, they, they don't really feel compelled to to honor their lease obligations, mm-hmm. uh, perhaps, you know, stay longer than the initial term or take great care of the property, et cetera. But then you do have uh, the folks that might be relocating to an area that don't really do their homework. Um, The house might be great. And upon first glance or, you know, a couple of glances in the neighborhood, it seems fine. Uh, Don't, why would I look into it any further type question? They move in and then they find out, you know, that they're hearing sirens all night long. And, and as you mentioned, perhaps a vehicle gets broken into, um, or those types of things. And yeah, they just, they, they wake up one day and they say, why am I living here? Right. Right. That makes sense. Now, what about the actual number of bedrooms in the property? Like is, a like a three bedroom, the best kind of property to buy or, does it matter? Like do two bedrooms in your experience run quickly or even one bedrooms or maybe on the other side, four bedrooms, like does it matter how many bedrooms the property has? Yeah. And I would say that might perhaps be a a market specific question, but from my experience, um, as you noted, and, and, in my primary market, it, it really doesn't matter. Um, you know, three bedrooms rent, um, 
pretty much as easily as a, a two bedroom or vice versa. Um, it really just depends on the overall demand on the product. Um, we do find single family homes uh, versus a condo type property do lease better. Uh, retention rates are higher, uh, et cetera, on the actual product type. But when you drill down the detail within the product, uh, we do not find uh, necessarily a leg up on a three or four bedroom house over a two bedroom house. It just depends on the general demand component. Um, you know, I, I think from a resale perspective, I, I think, you know, a lot of people think the rule is a, a three bedroom, two bath house with a garage and a, you know, a small um, maintainable yard is going to sell better than, than the next. Um, I, I have not seen that in direct experience. Okay. Um, you know, like I said, I, I think, uh, especially in my market, single family homes absolutely trump a condo type property um, for, for many reasons, which might be uh, worth another call one day. But um, I think uh, I think two versus three bedrooms really doesn't make that big of a difference. And do you see more turnover? Like, you know, so they all rent pretty, pretty easily. But do you see more turnover? My impression, I, I don't own any one bedrooms, but my impression would be that you're maybe going to get a lot of people that are younger or earlier in their career and maybe they're more likely to, to move. Am I right in thinking that or not really? You, you are to a degree. Absolutely. Um, there, there is a, a fundamental level of transience uh, with a quote unquote smaller property. And that's going to lend to the demographic that's that's living in these properties. So on the one hand, you know, a, a single family home with three bedrooms considered perhaps a larger a larger house um, is generally going to attract perhaps a, a young family with school-age kids. And we absolutely do see uh, longer occupancy rates for that property type versus the one-bedroom, um, you know, urban periphery flat that, um, you know, a guy right out of law school trying to, trying to get his legs under him professionally is going to live in, uh, has easy access to downtown, maybe a really high-end finish. And then, you know, life, life slash professional trajectory changes and, you know, he takes a job across the country. Um, we do see more transients and the smaller uh, type property. So, yeah, that's a great point. OK, awesome. All right. Let's talk about budgeting for repairs. Like this is something that, you know, I always think about, like to make sure I'm putting enough money aside for stuff that's going to break or maybe even longer term stuff that's going to need to be replaced at some, at some point, like from, from looking at your portfolio that you manage and also your personal experience, what do you think is a good amount of money to put aside for repairs? Yeah, that's a great question. Um, we, we generally tend to recommend to our clientele, and this is also a personal rule that I hold is, is about a thousand dollars a year for, uh, basic routine, uh, normal maintenance, it really in any given property. Of course, it, it certainly can vary by the size of the property. Um, but generally speaking, I think if, if, uh, if you have, you know, a thousand dollar budget per year per property, that should be a pretty safe uh, amount to, to keep on hand. And now obviously, you know, that does not really address, um, larger ticket, capital expenditure uh, type items such as HVAC replacement or roof replacement. Um, but for your basic leaky faucet, uh, broken window lock type uh, maintenance things that we see very regularly, 
I think a thousand dollars a year uh, would be very. Okay. Uh, I think it would be considered a conservative amount. Right. Yeah, and I guess that's probably going to depend on the condition of the property too, right? That if if it, the property is in really good shape, it might be lower, or if if the property is in pretty rough shape, it might be higher. Uh, of course, yeah. absolutely. Yeah. And so, you know, my response there uh, kind of factors around, um, the notion that, you know, we manage an inventory at scale. So, you know, I tend to speak in, in statistical averages a lot. So sorry about that, but yes, of course, yeah, um, you're going to have your contingent factors of, you know, what's, what's the current condition of the property and the age of the property. Those will uh, certainly factor in. Yeah. Do you ever, like, have you ever had a, uh, a client or a property that you, you managed where the owner maybe didn't have the property in the best condition. Of course. Um, you know, 17 years in this business, um, I've, I've seen it all. And that's certainly something that I've seen really more than, than I like. (laughs) Yeah. Um, because ultimately it's not, it's not a fun scenario for anyone, but yeah, we, we have, um, we have certainly seen and, and taken on properties, um, that, were um, in not necessarily disrepair, but perhaps had a, a higher level of deferred maintenance than I personally would be comfortable with. Um, and and, and I'll, I'll kind of give you a quip um, that that I had from a client a couple years ago that that internally we 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 got a pretty big laugh out of it. But um, he, you know, he first year or so um, of managing the property, it, you know, it, it seemed that he had ongoing expenses, um, for normal maintenance, nothing was, um, out of, out of ordinary per se, um, nothing technically was questionable. And it was a really a lot of minor things that just simply needed to be done. And, and the comment was made, well, you know, I've owned this for this property for five years now, and, and I haven't had to do a single one of these things. Uh, so, so why now all of a sudden that you're managing it, do I have to do these things? And, you know, the, the, the obvious answer is, well, because you've obviously neglected your property for right. five years. Right. Um, and so, so that, you know, and, and we were able to have a, a very detailed discussion about that. And I think it was a scenario where, you know, that particular owner, you know, felt like he kind of put his foot in his mouth with that comment, but um, yeah, you know, we, we do see it. And, you know, I think uh, preventative maintenance and ongoing maintenance, and in, in other words, not deferring that activity is really critical to to overall high performance rental. Sure, power. sure. All right, l- let me ask you a couple of questions uh, about my portfolio as a property manager. I, I think it'd be interesting to uh, sure to see what what you think. So, I don't like to raise rent if I have a good tenant that always pays on time, doesn't cause any problem. When the lease comes up. I'll generally just renew them at the same price that they're paying. Do you think I'm I'm leaving money on the table by doing that? Probably a little bit, but you have to you have to ask the question, you know, does it does a small marginal increase make sense um certainly financially to to um to have a tenant leave? Um yeah. and, and the answer 99 times out of 100 is no. Uh, but but then the, the other question that I think kind of gets pushed aside and it's a little less tangible is um, you go for that marginal increase. And, and in our market, we see, you know, two to three percent annual increases is is generally attainable. And, and we don't get significant pushback from tenants, but but sometimes we do. And I think the 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 corollary question that you should ask there is, you know, for an additional, say, 30 to hundred dollars a month in rent 
and you all of a sudden give your tenant a really bad taste in their mouth. And perhaps they even subconsciously begin to take, you know, less quality care of the property or they're going to they pay their rent a couple of days later than they used to. And they are certainly now thinking when the lease is up again, you know, they're, they're going to already potentially have one foot out the door. Right. So I, I, I tend to maintain a, a, a similar philosophy, and that is. Uh, if it's a if it's a great tenant, retain them uh, certainly at the cost of a marginal rental increase. Yeah, yeah. Like to me, it's just not worth it. You know, when you look at the cost of a turnover, that you know, uh, there's always going to be some expense, and then you're going to have vacancy. And to me, it's it's not worth it for an extra twenty bucks a month or thirty bucks a month. So, if you put that on paper, it does not pencil yeah. out uh, from an underwriting perspective yeah. for sure. Yeah. All right. And then the other issue is um, kind of interesting. So I, I have a property that's in a homeowners association and the president of the homeowners association sent out a letter the other day saying that he was um, he thought that the the neighborhood was starting to go downhill a little bit, that there was trash around the neighborhood. And he was just basically yelling at everybody telling them to step up their game and to to make the neighborhood nicer and you know obviously i i i want the neighborhood to be nice too but i have a property manager and i didn't know how to how to explain that to the property manager in a way that they're going to be able to explain that to the tenant when there's nothing specific that the tenant is doing wrong um like, so how how do you think I should approach that with my manager? Well, I, I mean, I, I think that's I think that's a fairly direct uh, response, and that is assuming that you have uh, detailed HOA rules and regulations formally attached to your lease and part of uh, the lease itself. I think it's just a, sim- a simple reiteration of the tenant's obligation and responsibility to the lease. Uh, to be adhering to those rules and regulations. Yeah. Um, that, that's, that's a fairly straightforward, uh, process. Um, now, you know, uh, unfortunately, and I don't know how much, how much of this you want to hear, but, you know, around our marketplace, um, we hear regularly from HOA managers, you know, well, this, this neighborhood has so many rentals in it. It's just getting run down. Mm-hmm. And, you know, I, I think that's a terrible qualifier. Um, you know, we, we always, the, the tongue in cheek comment is, you know, renters are people too. And, and you know, I never really understood the notion of, you know, why, why renters versus buyers um, sh- should, should have any disparity. Right. Um, they're, they're both um, entities that are living in a home and paying their bills. So, you know, what, what structural difference does it make? Um, and, and I do understand the notion of, you know, renters may not have the pride of ownership and, and the, 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 uh, correlated care of the property. But at the end of the day, if, if, if you have qualified and vetted your renter to the extent that I feel you should be, they're going to be responsible, uh, upstanding people that are going to honor their, their lease contract and take right. good care of the property. So right. it shouldn't really matter. Yeah. Yeah. I, I just like, I, I didn't want the tenant to feel like the manager was coming down on them when like, uh, you know, it's like the HOA didn't say anything specific that's wrong with the property. And, you know, I don't know if the tenant is keeping the property up or not, but um, I, I don't know. Maybe, maybe the HOA just would have been more specific and address actual specific problems than just coming Th- out with be, in general. 
that that would definitely be helpful. But I think, you know, and, and let me just say, if if I were uh, faced with the same scenario, I, I would simply ask my manager, be very gentle and kind. Mm-hmm. Please reach out. Uh, it doesn't have to be formal. Certainly not, you know, anything written and sent in the mail. Perhaps right. an email would suffice. Uh, but just a very soft approach. And I would put it back on the HOA management and say, look, HOA is is going around. They're harping on things. Uh, certainly, you know, don't take this as in any way accusatory. Uh, but, you know, I, I, it is simply my obligation and responsibility as the property manager of, of uh, your home um, that we kind of trickle down, you know, the HOA sentiments here and, and just let you know to please be vigilant if, Number one, you're seeing anything um, on your own property that perhaps shouldn't be occurring. But, you know, even if you see other people, um, let's just all work together to, to to maintain the character and the quality of the neighborhood. And mm-hmm. I, I think you can do that gently enough where it would not come across um, as as accusatory in any way. Yeah. I think it's just I think it's just how you approach it. I think you're right. Well, if anybody is interested in investing in the Nashville market, you've got a pretty unique business model where you actually help investors find properties, help them fix them up, and then you manage them. Tell me a little bit about how your business works. Yeah, it's, it's full life cycle, um, buy, hold, uh, acquisition. So on the acquisition side of things, we uh, provide all of the intel in terms of um, the physical property itself. Of course, um, anything that we would represent is only going to be in our target locations, which of course are tried and true. Um, we know uh, the very best ones in terms of uh, demand metrics and retention metrics and everything that goes into it. Um, we can send in our crew right away to give uh, a rent ready estimate, um, which which generally are hard estimates. Uh, once approved, we can we can tackle the project, which we would manage in its entirety. We go straight to the to the leasing platform. Once the property is rented, then we go into uh, full cycle management, and then. Um, you know, with uh, with with any luck, you reach your exit point, at, at which time you might be interested in selling. And of course, uh, we can list and sell that property for you as well. And in fact, um, we have obviously a, a fairly large investor network. And oftentimes, if a property is rented or not, uh, we would have really good history and data on the performance of a specific property. And of course, we're going to know it physically inside and out very well. Uh, but a lot of times we can just flip it over to another investor uh, client that we might already have. And it makes for a very quick and and certainly smooth uh, process. If anybody wants to connect with Lee, I've got his contact information on the website. You can find it at rentalincomepodcast.com slash episode 298. I'd like to thank today's sponsors for making this episode possible. First, I'd like to thank Tenant Cloud. If you're looking for online applications, online leases, online ACH payment, check out tenantcloud.com. They have a bunch of different packages, but you can get started for free today at tenantcloud.com. I'd also like to thank Chaley Ridge from Ridge Lending Group for making this episode possible. If you're looking to buy a rental property, whether it's your first property or you want to add to your portfolio, reach out to Chaley Ridge. She is a nationwide lender and she specializes in helping investors buy rental properties. She has a ton of different loan programs, and she can find something customized to you for your situation. You can find out more at RidgeLendingGroup.com. That's R-I-D-G-E, 
lendinggroup.com. If you mention Rental Income Podcast, she will waive all the pre-qualification fees. NMLS 42056. Thank you so much for listening to the podcast. Make sure you subscribe. We have new interviews every single Tuesday. And if you subscribe, you'll get notified as soon as they come out. My name is Dan Lane, and this is the Rental Income Podcast. Some people make a single cup of coffee, others an entire pot. At Community Coffee, we make ours with a commitment because community isn't just our name. It's our mission. Find us at your grocery store or communitycoffee.com to learn more. If you're looking for a way to save some money to help pay for your next rental property purchase, Think about reshopping your home and auto insurance with Policy Genius. You could save up to $1,055 per year. The best part about it, it's really simple. All you have to do is head to policygenius.com. You'll answer a couple of quick questions about yourself and your property, and then Policy Genius takes it from there. They'll compare rates from over 30 top insurance companies, and they're companies you know, like Progressive and Nationwide, and they will find you the lowest quotes. If they can save you some money, they'll get you switched, and it's totally free. So if you're a homeowner, make 2021 the year that you save up to $1,055 by simply reshopping your home and auto insurance. Just head to policygenius.com to get started right now. Policy Genius, when it comes to insurance, it's nice to get it right. Welcome to Virtual Meditation with Shiloh. Uh, hello? Today I, oh. we're working on forgiving ourselves for not knowing the difference between upload and download speeds before getting cable internet. <laughs> That's oddly specific. Repeat after me. I am not my cable internet. Wait, um, I, I, I don't have cable. I'm not a bad... It's my video calls more like video stalls. Uh, hey, Shiloh, there's something... I will get AT&T Fiber. <laughs> and I will switch classes until you do. Slow upload speeds? You're not a bad person. You just need better internet. With 20 times faster upload speeds, AT&T Fiber delivers a faster internet experience than cable. Get AT&T Fiber with no annual contract. Limited availability in select areas. Call 1-877-ONLY-ATT. Check eligibility at att.com slash getfiber. Based on combined internet 1,000 wired up and download capacity versus major cable providers, one gig service with uploads of 35 megabits per second. Speeds vary, not guaranteed. Restrictions apply. Once upon a time in a convenience store, a woman asked, which zero-calorie drink will I like more? The cashier said, I have a thought. Coke Zero Sugar always hits the spot. The taste made her heart fill with laughter. And with her Coke Zero Sugar, she lived happily ever after. Coca-Cola Zero Sugar. Unbelievably delicious. No trip to the store is complete without the unbelievably delicious zero-calorie taste of Coke Zero Sugar. Pick some up at Kroger today. And now more straight talk from Straight Talk. The big wireless companies say they're the only way to get the best coverage. Because they've got like a kajillion cell towers? Something like that. But Straight Talk Wireless runs on those same towers. So you get the same great networks for up to 50% less. I wonder if they're counting that one in Kickapoo, Kansas. Oh boy. Switch today and get our unlimited plan for just 45 bucks a month with 25 gigs at high speeds and no contract. Straight Talk Wireless, no contract, no compromise. Savings may vary. See straighttalk.com. Is there anything better 
than when you wake up and you can remember your sex dream. Oh, wow. Mm. Oh, it's a good day. <laughs> it's a good feeling. <laughs> sex dreams are the best, man. Yeah. Oh, yeah. You can get freaky. Mm. Like, it was a dream. I don't know. Yeah. yeah. What happened? You were well, cheating. You no. know. I never oh. really know the person I had sex with in the dream. It's really? Always, yeah. I never. Like a horse or something? I can't. Why would it be a horse? <laughs> I don't know. I can never remember, like, the actual person. Like they were a stranger, or you just can't remember who they. You were? know, it's a person, and you'd like to think it was so and so, but you can't picture it. I don't know. I've never. You know what I mean? No, nope. nobody ever nope. has that. Nope. You nope. vividly remember nope. who you had sex with in your dream. Yep. Every time. Yep. Like well, I can remember. I've never if, had that. I can remember <laughs> if it's a stranger. Yeah. Yeah. I or I remember yeah. if it's somebody I know. Yeah, like Jim from the Office. Do you remember these things? All right, it's fine. Right. Sorry. What a weirdo. Hmm. Well, we're gonna find out <laughs> what that means. <laughs> done yet it's time for the p1 podcast fun's not over yet completely uncensored and un filtered except for that part looking for the after party the show's after show starts now now thor i'm not saying this i'm not just putting this on this is the real deal i kid you not when i have a sex dream it's always with my wife Really? Yes. Really? I know. Well, that's come on. Am I dreaming right now? Am I asleep? What? No, I have had dreams of like you know when you get excited and you first date somebody or you're interested in them and you hope they like you back. Yeah. I've had dreams like that that don't involve my wife. Mm -hmm. But when it comes to like sex, I think it's exclusively about my wife. Yeah, and and Emily's man's never watched porn either. (laughs) I got there. You go. Listen, (laughs) you can believe me or not. I don't really give a rip. It's a, it's the truth, and I honestly think it's because that's that's who I have sex with, and so I don't know if it's just like this. Is, I here's the thing about my dreams, what? and it's I think it's different than a lot of people's dreams because my wife will tell me about her dreams, and I'm like, what the fuck is wrong with me? You're like a psycho or something. Oh. She has crazy dreams. I don't have crazy dreams. Oh, you don't. My dreams are based in reality, so I all my dreams are always based in reality, and so I think that's why I dream that way. Huh. So you'll never have a dream where you're flying or no. or you're a banker nope. or a banker. I don't know. I mean, what kind of fucking dream is yeah. that? I mean, I would have gone more with like fighting a dragon yeah. or something a more. That's I woke nice. up and I was a teller. Yeah, when I get to count money uh, all day long. Uh, no, Sky. Like the fuck, the, Sky. Or like you know, like there's monsters or like I don't have dreams like that. I only have dreams based in reality. Like you, if so, if you were to have a work nightmare, you'd be here. at in a radio station here. here. Yeah. We'd in be this here. studio, probably. Wow. wow. No, I mean, I'll, I'll things sometimes won't make sense. Where I'll have a dream where I'm back in like my house that I grew up in, <laughs> mm-hmm. but it's all it's not like weird, uh, you know, where I'm I don't know in outer space or something mm-hmm. like that. It, nothing like that. Mm. I don't. So because I think I dream in reality, I dream about the sex things that i'll do with my wife and how often does that happen um i mean i wish more yeah not as not as often is as she, i like is she freakier in your dreams Why? definitely yeah oh there yeah. you definitely. go or more we'll just be like we're somewhere and we'll want to have sex or something yeah. like that you know mm-hmm. but it's it, not as crazy as i'd like oh yeah it sucks wow dream issues who knew it sucks eddie shitty life i have oh, wait, no i don't hey, you said it <laughs> <laughs> so when you guys dream you do you dream about other people um, Never. I, I, you just said you don't remember uh, people you have sex with. Yeah, yeah, You're just yeah, fucking yeah. everybody. Yeah. Sicko. You sicko. Yeah, yeah. I had a. I did get a 
text from my fiance today um, that it's kind of off topic, but if I, I something you know when you wake up and you 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 know and you're you're ready to go because you woke up with a heart on mm-hmm. and you had a dream. <laughs> she did say um, that last night apparently she noticed that I had a I was hard when I was sleeping, and I don't remember that. She just, I think she's star- staring at it. I think she does. She stare at him when he sleeps. How would you how do you sleep under covers? No, nah, sometimes I don't. It was hot last night. And I'm always naked. So you're naked on top of the covers with a heart on. I guess so. I was sleeping. I was sleeping. I'd start playing like ring toss. So she said, <laughs> honestly, <laughs> honestly, you probably move out. Oh, yeah. yeah I'd be know. scared. She, she said, yeah. I'm not joking. Oh she God. said, I quote. I couldn't. And you don't know she what said, you were dreaming about? I don't. I really yeah. don't. Yeah. She said, quote, would you be mad if I sucked it in the middle of the night? Guys? And, and I went, yeah, because I got to work the next morning. You would be mad. Shut the fuck you up. You would be mad. Yeah. I you, can't handle any oh, of this. Oh, dude, in all honesty. You would be mad. I mean, that not that kind of like any guy's dream to be awakened by somebody? It's a dream. It's a dream. In the middle true. of the night? If yeah. it was a Friday night or a Saturday night, I said go for Suck it. Suck away. Yeah, but like Sunday night through Thursday night? Come on. Work. Come on. Why don't I imagine being woken up at 1 a.m.? It'd be the most incredible thing that's ever happened to me in my life. Oh my God. My husband, uh, he'd be like, fuck the mega millions, billion dollar jackpot. This is it. Robert, this is it. She's been on like a really horny level lately. So this isn't an everyday thing. It's just like a. Legit, Robert wouldn't care if he got fired the next day. Like, if he (laughs) he didn't even go in. Like, for real, he would not even want to go in. I mean, that's crazy. You can go back to sleep. So she just brought that up to me. And I was like, sure, on Friday night and Saturday. All right. Human being I've ever so met. Crazy. Worst human being you've ever met. Yeah. Now this so specifically yeah. is about guy sex dreams, right? Yes, mm. yes. And what they mean. Yes, this is from Men's Health, and they say these are the most common sex dreams that guys have, and what it means for guys. Is uh, anything in there about exclusively having sex with your wife? Not a single one is about having sex really? with your actual partner. Because they probably asked like 20,000 men and zero none, of them. None of them are in love with their wives. <laughs> zero. Oh, really? in love with their wives. Yeah. None of them are in love with their wives. Okay. Oh. Really, dude? <laughs> so stupid. <laughs> so, yeah. So, this is what the sex experts say are the most common ones and what they mean. Sex with your ex. Oh. Ew. <laughs> they say I get we, the door shutting up oh god we got, we got three options here <laughs> either you still want her you want you want to move past her but know like something's not letting you or there's just something that you miss about her or the relationship that you're hoping your new relationship can have I have had dreams about exes but they're not sexual yeah I feel like when when I first broke up with my ex or my ex before that or my ex before that you have dreams like that. Whoa! But after, <laughs> but after a while, I don't. I don't it goes have. Goes away. Yeah, it goes away. Right. You don't even no? know what her face looks like. <laughs> Gross. <laughs> uh, the next most common sex dream guys have: sex with your boss. They say um. this one means that you're wanting approval for something you're doing, and you're not getting acknowledged for it, or else you want to get ahead and get a promotion. Wait, why are we fist bumping? I don't know. <laughs> so, guys, dreaming about sex with their boss is huh. very common, I guess. Is it common to have a female boss? I mean, oof. Oh, really, <laughs> Eddie? Eddie. Hey. Oh, no. Uh-oh. We don't need this. Question. I'm asking you the no. question. We're talking is about that... dreams, not that. Yeah, yeah. It... 2021. Because it would be weird if we you're We got a new sex... administration. We've moved past this kind of crap. Okay. Yeah. Your male boss. You know. 
Wait, yeah. what is the new administration doing? I mean, oh, I'm just saying, well, we're not playing this yeah. sexist yeah. pussy grabbing shit anymore. <laughs> yeah. okay? Oh my god! Okay, yes, guy. Guy. okay, okay. I don't look at Thor. He's yeah. frozen. I scared him with my words. I love this guy. This Thank sexy you. pussy grabbing we're shit. Doing anymore. We're not doing it, fucking Thor. Okay? I didn't say you should do it. Okay. Uh, <laughs> uh, next most common sex dream guys have is with a stranger. Yeah, mm-hmm. I think that that's a that's the lot of dreams that I have. Yeah, mm-hmm. yeah. They say that whatever that person possesses, that's something you want. Let me just clarify. Life. I don't have a lot of those dreams. Um, they just happen every once uh-huh. in a while, like a normal person. Uh huh. And if you're new to the P1 <laughs> podcast and you don't get what's going on with Laura right now, Haley is a very jealous human. What are you talking about? And she listens. And she listens. Yeah. Listen. Yeah. So just, yeah. Oh yeah. Just, awesome. Oh yeah. In case. All right. Next most. I never one. have now. <laughs> Sex with a platonic friend. Anyone ever had those dreams? I've had that before. Yeah? Mm. yeah, yeah. How's that going? I mean, it was a dream. Yeah, you wake yeah. up feeling like weird. You don't even wake Sky up feeling weird. Sky dreams yeah. about having sex with me all the time. All the time, man. That's not true. You dirty dog. We're platonic. Dirty dog. But she <laughs> can't stop dreaming about having sex with me. It's crazy. It's like I, I it's trying to get a little uncomfortable. To be it, honest, with does you. she tell you about it in the morning? Uh, you know, she does and says, "Don't say anything." And now I'm saying something, I so mean, now oh. I feel like a jerk. I mean, it yeah. happened once. I think in 2002. Oh, oh, really? oh really? And it wasn't even wow. sex. It, I was, I was for he some was reason. You. Yeah. No one was face fucking anyone. There was no. He was like David Lee Roth when you were at that yeah, concert. Buddy. Yeah, stop Riding that. my crotch in your face. No, <laughs> you're wearing leopard spandex. I wish. <laughs> no, uh, for some reason I was stranded somewhere and needed to be picked up oh, and she remembers it like it was yesterday yeah, how do you crazy. remember this well, a because, dream from 20 2002 because, because it meant so much to her well no because eddie brings it up all the time and, and jokes with me about it so i'm i'm stranded and i need to be picked up and for some reason you like call. Uh, there's only one person i'm oh, gonna a call hero in your life yeah, you ain't calling the ghostbusters you're calling big eddie that's it baby <laughs> big and, dog coming to eat and arr, so arr. i call eddie and of course <laughs> he's super nice he's like yeah if you need me to pick you up yeah of course i'll come pick you up and then and then i realize i am fully only wearing lingerie Oh, like uh, a like wow. a, like see through lace teddy type yeah. of deal, yeah. and Eddie's <laughs> coming to pick me up, and there's nothing weird about it, and it's totally normal, and we I'm just fucking. no, we're not fucking. You're just picking me up because I was stranded, oh, but for no, some reason you know I why. was stranded in lingerie, and yeah, that was the end of I got you. Wow. So no, dreams about me all the time. Wow, well, crazy man. Kind of seems like you were asking for it. I mean, that was yeah. nine years ago, mm. right? No, wait, nine, eighteen, two thousand two, years ago. Yeah. Oh shit. Do math. I don't do math. Yeah. <laughs> Lost a decade there. Okay, the next most common sex dream guys have is cheating. Either being cheated on or you are the cheater. My that's fiance, that's I, sex dreams? Yeah, I don't think that's sex yeah, dreams that's being ba- cheated on. Well, no, like you're like you're seeing the sex. It's not like just the cheating. But, but sex dream you think is, is good, like exciting. Oh. Like, the cheating dreams are bad. Yeah, those are Yeah, scary. I don't like that. No? You'll take a pass on that one? Yeah, I'll take a pass. Uh, My yeah. fiance has cheating dreams all the time. Why do you keep cheating on her? I don't know. That's pretty fucked up. Stop that. And she'll get like, mad issues. at me. She'll yeah. get mad at me. When she wakes up? Yeah. Well, yeah, I kind of get that. I had a dream the other night that Robert was kissing some other girl. Ew. And I was like, woke up going, like, looking they're, at him differently. They were both in the old age home? Or? I mean, they weren't in the old age home. He's only 52 years old. It was a flapper. He's only 52. <laughs> a flapper. Is that safe with COVID? Yeah. Elderly? Yeah, really? that maybe, that's, maybe that's why really? you were so upset. Yeah, no, it wasn't you, an old lady... You look. You get mad at him. He didn't do anything. I didn't like like verbally go fuck you. I, but I like for a second. You just you look said at I him look at him differently. differently. You look at, for just for a second. Yeah, yeah. I get. Until you like realize, you know what I mean. But you do. You're like. 
Asshole. Spit at him. Yeah. <laughs> spit at him. Wake yeah. up and spit on. Yeah. Kicked him in the balls. When when Haley does that now, I go, "Was she hot?" <laughs> Ew. Sure, that helps the situation. Yeah. Oh my god. Well, because it's so stupid. Yeah, I agree. Like I'm not. It's so stupid to me. So if you're gonna bring it up, I'm gonna joke Sky about it. Sky does this it. all the time. Uh, well, it's stupid. Yeah. You can right, Sky. Yeah, luckily for me, it's been a while, but I went through a string of them, and oh, I'd get so fucking pissed. That's so crazy. And I would, like, hate his face. It would take until, like, noon every day no, for me no, to, like, wow. make eye do contact. Anything. Yeah, fucker. Anyway, <laughs> oh my, oh my uh, God. <laughs> they say if you're having these dreams, that means there's something on your mind about your relationship that you need to actually talk about and work through because... What's going on with Robert, huh? Some sort of problem there. I don't know. <laughs> Staying after hours? Uh, oh! <laughs> look uh, into that. <laughs> the next most common one for guys is uh, bondage and domination type of dreams. Never had any. Yeah, I'm that. not into that. Yeah. Uh, they say if you're do- having the bondage dreams that you have to let go of something in your life and you're curious about that. And the dominant dream means means that you're craving more control in your life, guys. Uh, next is someone outside your sexuality zone mm. as a common dream. What's so- that like, Thor? <laughs> 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 not denying it. Uh, yeah. well, I'm just, I just, just laughed it off. Okay, that's cool. Okay. It's cool, bro. Yeah, it doesn't matter. Dreams of meaning. I don't anyway. have dreams like that, Eddie. Oh, really? Yeah, I don't. You don't have dreams where you, you know, maybe you're just sucking at one time. No, no, I don't. That's fucking crazy. I don't have dreams like that. I've never had a dream like that. I can honestly say Come that. Come on. I would say if I had a dream like that. Really? I'd be, yeah. You would? Yeah, I would. But I, I've never had a dream like that. Wow. Stop well, it. Well, according to the experts, this doesn't mean that you want, like, man love or anything. Oh. They just say there's a man okay. love. Yeah. They just say that there's a person that you, you admire <laughs> their traits and you want to be more like them and somehow your brain flips that into you guys. Thor's definitely had a dream about me. No question about it. Now, in Thor's dream, is he given or receiving? Oh. I'm not having dreams like that. He's always He's, he's always, a bottom. Yeah, I think he's a bottom. Yeah, he's no. a bottom. He's, yeah. he's little spoon. Oh. First of all, I'm very dominant when I have sex. You're a little spoon so guy. I'm not. No. Well, you are. I, I know. Mm-hmm. What do you mean? You admit you're little spoon yeah, all with, the time. Yeah, little spoon, but when sex comes, I'm not little spoon. <laughs> You're not taking it up. No, yet. I'm not. Are you two literally arguing about who gets to be on top? Why? Well, of course I am. <laughs> no, I am not. It's a good argument, and we all know it. He's on top, right? Thank oh, you. 100%. Thank okay. you. 100%. Okay. Thank you. Taking a big and Kaylee. Okay. How I am. <laughs> What? Look at it with his arms I am crossed. not, I am I not that. <laughs> yeah, she'll tell us that she wanted to suck it the other night, and you said, ew, no. No. First of all, first of all I, didn't, I didn't say ew. I didn't say ew. I just said no. <laughs> ew, your boobs are getting in the way. Gross. Gross, gross. Your boobs. <laughs> okay, and the final most common dream, and this is uh, weird and creepy, but everybody is a little different. Maybe you don't find it weird and mm. creepy. They say disturbing or violent dreams and that can go That's normal behavior for yeah. Emily. I don't know what you're you know doesn't nobody has to dream about that no, it just goes on in my life yeah <laughs> So that's, that's yeah, yeah. So that goes anything from play choking all the way to le- legit violence. Yeah, <laughs> oh my God. and they say that is a sign that you feel like you don't have much control in your life, and you would like more control over your life. Mm, well, I'm not really having those issues. No, no, not no. Good. I just dream about my beautiful wife. No, oh, yeah. Really? Really? What's the problem? Yeah, really, it's totally. true. Yep. Thank you. 
Hi, everyone. Something a little different today. A talk from our new podcast, TED Business. Enjoy. TED Talks Daily is brought to you by Progressive. Saving money on your car insurance is easy with Progressive. It's an average savings of over $750 for customers who switch and save. In fact, customers can qualify for an average of six discounts on their auto policy with Progressive. Discounts just for starting a quote online or having multiple vehicles on their policy. Get your quote online at Progressive.com and see how much you could be saving. National annual average auto insurance savings by new customers surveyed in 2019. Potential savings will vary. Discounts vary and are not available in all states and situations. If you listen to TED Business, a few weeks ago, you probably heard an insightful TED Talk from Carla Harris, vice chairman at Morgan Stanley. She's responsible for improving access to capital for female and multicultural founders, as well as increasing client connectivity through less than obvious means. That's the type of innovative thinking that's happening at every echelon of Morgan Stanley. So it's great news that Morgan Stanley is offering Thoughts on the Market. Thoughts on the Market offers concise and insightful takes on current events and market implications, all from a variety of voices at the company. Get a fresh perspective in three minutes, three times a week. Just search Thoughts on the Market wherever you listen to podcasts. $16 per hour. This amount is above the national minimum wage, and it may seem like enough for entry-level employees. But based on their circumstances, it may be far from enough. What if a person's a single parent? What if they send money every month to a relative in need? What if they're still struggling to pay a $50,000 medical bill from an accident a few years ago? Even if you look at the average hourly market rate across the U.S., $30 per hour may not be enough to keep people from living on the financial brink. When you look beyond averages and market rates and try to see people's real lives, you may encounter a startling truth that even profitable companies that think they're paying their employees fairly may have employees who are barely getting by. So what can you do about that? Welcome to the TED Business Podcast. I'm your host, Madupa Akinola, Associate Professor of Management at Columbia Business School and Director of the Bernstein Center for Leadership and Ethics. Today, Dan Schulman offers insight into a new metric that PayPal invented, net disposable income, that can help organizations determine if they're paying their employees enough. Dan Schulman is the President and CEO of PayPal and Chairman of the Board of Symantec. He served in division president and CEO roles at American Express, Sprint, and Virgin Mobile. His leadership has been critical in helping companies meet the 21st century demand of contact-free payments. You'll hear him not in a traditional TED Talk, but in conversation with TED Business Curator Corey Hajim on the TED Interview Podcast. And he'll explain the process he used at PayPal to understand the true financial health of employees. Then after the interview, I'll be back to suggest how we can take that quest for understanding a step further. Dan will also tell you the lengths to which PayPal went to address deficiencies, because it turns out that paying employees enough to feel secure in their financial futures helps the company too. 
Imagine what our companies and our communities would look like if every organization did this. I'm really excited to have Dan here with us. Thank you so much, Dan. Thanks for having me, Corey. Pleasure to be here with you. So let's dive right in. PayPal has done something unique in terms of calculating how much to pay people and how much you should spend on benefits. Traditionally, wages are set by the market, but you found that paying as much or even more than other companies wasn't always enough. Can you tell us about that moment? Yeah, two-thirds of, uh, of Americans struggle to make ends meet at the end of the month. You know, they are financially stressed and it kind of wreaks havoc in their life. And um, I did a study to look at PayPal employees. We did a, a research study. And I did it because I thought I was going to get back this great information that I was going to talk about at an employee meeting about how well we pay. Because we pay, to your point, at or above market in every single location around the world. And what I found is, unfortunately, 60% of our operations personnel, our entry-level employees, our hourly workers face the same thing. They struggle to make ends meet. And that was simply unacceptable for me. I mean, I think the world is changing in terms of the responsibility of corporations, responsibility of CEOs. And we have a lot of different stakeholders that we try to satisfy from regulators to shareholders, to customers, to employees. But I think the number one responsibility that we have is the health, financial health of our employees, because nothing could be more important to a company than to have financially secure, passionate employees working for you. Nobody is going to serve customers better than employees who feel a part of something and feel financially secure and glad to be a part of that company. And so then the real question becomes like, how do you measure that? Because a lot of people think about living wages or a minimum wage. And we, we thought that was insufficient. And we came up with a measurement we called net disposable income, which is basically after you pay taxes and your basically essential living expenses, how much money do you have left over for discretionary things or to save? And here's the really unfortunate thing. And I'm not proud of this, but remember, we were paying at market or above. So I thought the market would take care of this by, by doing that. We found that uh, for that population, they had 4 to 6% NDI, net disposable income, after paying taxes and essential living expenses. That is not enough. You are going to struggle to make ends meet. And by the way, NDI changes location to location to location around the globe, right? I mean, there's a different NDI in Manila, a different uh, NDI in Omaha, Nebraska, than there is in New York City, et cetera. And so we basically said to ourselves, we need to take NDI to 20%. And that's a huge shift from four to six to 20%. But at 20%, you actually have the ability to save and to put money away, and to take care of discretionary expenses. And so we did a pretty massive 
reorientation of our compensation systems. We lowered the cost of benefits by 58% because benefits are like a regressive tax. Like you pay the same amount no matter what your salary is. And so we had a lot of employees who weren't taking healthcare benefits because it costs too much to go and do that. So we lowered it by 58%. We made every single employee of PayPal a shareholder and an owner of the business so that they could be a part of the success of PayPal going forward. We raised salaries where we needed to go and do that. And then we wrapped all of that into a financial education program because people had never gotten equity before. They're trying to think through like, how do I save now that I've got incremental dollars to go and do that? And, you know, that costs us quite a bit of money. But I I really feel just like we spent a lot of money to take care of customers in COVID-19, that companies need to stand for more than just making money, for more than just maximizing, you know, our profits next quarter. I firmly, firmly believe that the costs associated with taking care of our employees, taking care of our customers will benefit us in the long run multiple fold over the costs associated with doing that. And we're already beginning to see some of the impact uh, of that. And so I think every CEO, every company needs to really now start to think about, especially maybe as a result of this crisis. But as I mentioned, we had a crisis before this. Like, how do we put our employees first, take care of them? Because if you do that, you'll take care of customers. And if you take care of customers, you'll take care of shareholders inevitably. It, it's so interesting and it brings up so many questions, I think. I mean, PayPal is a hugely profitable tech business, um, huge free cash flow and big margins. Do you think this model is something that every company can do, whether it's a tech company, a manufacturer? I mean, is this what everyone should be focused on? Well, I think that, and I don't want to uh, moralize or, you know, tell other companies what they should do. But to me, I think everyone should understand the financial health of their employees. I mean, that's like a baseline thing to go do. Like what you do post that is up to maybe, you know, your financial strength as a company or where you put your order of priorities. But what I found is I thought the market could tell you that. And, you know, I'm a big believer in capitalism. I think it's a really, uh, in many ways, the best economic system uh, that I know of. But like everything, it needs an upgrade. It needs tuning. And at least for these vulnerable populations, just because you pay at market doesn't mean that they have financial health or financial wellness. And I think everyone should know whether or not their employees have the wherewithal to be able to save, to withstand financial shocks, and then really understand like what can you do about it? Because if people are struggling to make ends meet, they are not as productive at work. They're worried about like, what am I going to do with my kids? My kid just got sick. I don't have health insurance. I think, I think there's a spiral that occurs. You think you're actually saving money by paying less, but the reality is 
you know, at least in my belief system, you take care of your employees and other things naturally flow from that. They are more productive. They love being a part of that company. They take care of customers better. And all of those things inevitably accrue to the benefit of, of a company in terms of how it's trying to serve its ultimate end market. But it starts with your employees. So, I mean, obviously you believe in this capitalism needs an upgrade. And I think NDI is something so many companies should adopt. But do you think this happens through benevolent corporate activity? I mean, I'm channeling my inner Bernie bro here, but I think a lot of people would be skeptical that we should trust companies to do better at this point. Should the government step in to raise minimum wages, do other things to protect workers in a more structured way? Look, I think the government uh, clearly has a role to play. And I think that the private and public sectors need to work closer together to address so many of the issues that we face in our societies across the world, whether that be income inequality, environmental issues, health protections, that kind of thing, privacy. But the way that I think about this is it's very difficult for governments to regulate around this because there's so many different ways of thinking about it. If I were another CEO, it's actually in your best interest to go and do this because it's a competitive advantage. Like we attract, I think, some of the best talent in the world to PayPal because we actually are trying to make some sort of positive difference. I'm not saying we're, you know, the be all and end all, but I don't think people should shirk their responsibilities of at least making a small difference going forward. If, if enough companies did that, if enough governments did that, it would make a real difference in the world. And then the second thing is you have to have values that support that. And those values are incredibly important. Those values should be all about inclusion. They should be about having a diverse workforce. They should be about financial wellness. And when you do that, and you attract the very best talent, then by definition, I think the single biggest competitive advantage for any company is their workforce. Strategies are great. Uh, you know, a whole number of things are great. You have a great workforce that's passionate about what they're doing and is financially secure, and they will do amazing things. And I think it's that kind of competitive advantage that will spur companies. So there needs to be a set of CEOs and companies that start to move in this direction. And I believe you're beginning to see more do this. And once that happens, it starts to tip everything. And I think more and more need to do it to maintain their competitive positioning. And that may seem like a self-serving way that people, why people are doing it. But honestly, I don't care whether they're doing it out of the goodness of their heart or they're doing it because it's competitively a disadvantage if they don't. Creating financial health for our employees is the goal, and we've got to get that done. Yeah, I mean, it sounds like you think of this as a win-win, but it also sounds like you're willing to maybe think about your employees first and sell it to your shareholders later. 
Well, I actually do believe that. And I, I think that the idea of a multi-stakeholder capitalism, that is a time for today. We cannot just think that we have one stakeholder that we need to satisfy. We, we live in our communities. We live in this world. To have people struggling day in and day out is not good for any company. And we can only do X amount, but we can actually create financial health for our employees, and we should. Net disposable income. I think it's a new wave. You know how net promoter scores, also known as MPS, became all the rage? Now, after almost every service you receive from companies, you get asked, would you recommend this service to a friend? My dermatologist even asks me this. Well, I think NDI may be the next critically important metric for organizations. Here's why. My colleague, Joel Brockner, and other scholars' work has shown that the process, such as how a company determines pay, is as important as the outcome, how much money its employees receive. And when leaders get the process right, meaning you make it fair and transparent and you base it in genuine care for your people, employees are more likely to go above and beyond like doing extra work voluntarily. The process companies typically use to set pay involves checking industry standards and competitors' salaries, then picking a number. The process that led PayPal to NDI involved actually asking employees how they were doing and what they needed, which is a pretty direct way to show your staff that you actually see them as real people and that you actually want them to be financially healthy, which makes employees start to care more too and their behavior show it. All this caring can leave the firm better off. But let's take the idea of NDI one step further. Yes, as Dan Schulman highlights, we need to raise the pay bar more for everybody. However, we may need to raise the pay bar more for certain people. Throughout my adult life, I've had dear friends experience tremendous stress from both needing to support themselves financially and also their parents and extended families. Friends who've had the added expense of adopting kids of family members. Friends who paid their aunt's mortgage for several years. Friends who send money regularly to their families in the U.S. and abroad. Friends who pay the school fees of their nieces and nephews. I've had MBA students share the struggle of choosing the job they liked least, but that paid the most because it was the only way for them to make ends meet. PhD students who, on their small stipends, needed to borrow money from faculty members because the stipend wasn't enough for them to pay their rent on time, have enough food to eat, and support their extended families. And we wonder why some students drop out of the program. And might I add that if in your mind you jump to the conclusion that these are all Black friends due to my race and the immediate stereotypes we have about who experiences these struggles— I'll let you know that these are friends of differing ethnicities, white, black, Asian, Latinx, you name it, and different nationalities, from American to European to Southeast Asian to African. One commonality is that their families were all low in socioeconomic status. Another commonality is that they had the same pedigreed education of others in their work cohort, the same workload, and similar pay but they had greater financial need, often due to systemic forces. So yes, NDI is a huge step in the right direction, 
but allow me to make a suggestion that might sound radical, but it shouldn't. When you set about following Dan's advice and actually ask employees about their financial health, try asking them about non-obvious expenses they may be carrying, expenses that might make a market salary inadequate for them, and consider paying them enough to make sure that you're not just hitting an average living wage, but you're actually paying enough for this particular employee to live on. In fact, you can make this an official process since we know a fair process is as important as its outcome. And without revealing anyone's personal details, make the process transparent so that everyone understands the standards you're using and the care you're taking. But what if you can't afford to bump up employee salaries? You can actually look for other ways to make employees feel cared for and reduce their expenses, like improved healthcare benefits, flexible hours to adjust for childcare crunches, or paid family leave. Dan also tried these kinds of approaches at PayPal by adjusting benefits and increasing the company's contribution. My hope is that hearing about these approaches will help you or your employer ask new questions about what good pay really means. Is the market rate really the right yardstick for financial wellness? Is the same paycheck really the same for different people? And if I really, truly want my employees to be financially healthy, how can I know for sure that my pay scale affords them that? The answer, as PayPal found out, might just be to ask them. Thanks so much for tuning in. If you want to listen to the full interview with Corey and Dan, you can find it on the TED Interview Podcast. TED Business is hosted by me, Madupa Akinola. Grace Rubenstein is our producer. The show is edited by Sheena Ozaki and mixed by Dan DeZula. Special thanks to Colin Helms, Michelle Quint, Angela Chang, Corey Hajim, and Anna Phelan. Talk to you again next week. The real thought leaders are the ones who turn ideas into action. Project Management Institute has partnered with TED to showcase people who are changing the world and turning ideas into reality. Project leaders with the powers to connect ideas and cultures and communities around the world. TED at PMI. Action and impact. Ideas curated by TED and turned into action by PMI. Together, a celebration of doers. Impacting communities impacting the world. Watch these TED Talks at pmi.org forward slash TED. PRX. You're listening to TED Talks Daily. I'm Elise Hugh. In today's talk, we will consider the overwhelming power we humans have over nature and the planet. The power is double-edged, generative in many ways, but destructive to creatures, resources, and ultimately, ourselves. In his talk from TED Salon 2020, sustainability champion Occam Steiner brings clarity to why we need to choose a different path forward. Our survival depends on it. I work at the United Nations 
And for the past couple of years, I have served as the head of the UN's development program. When I first walked into the UN headquarters in New York City many years ago, the first thing I noticed was a sculpture standing outside under the flags of the nations of the world. It's called the Knotted Gun, and it still stands there today. To me, that sculpture symbolized exactly what the UN was created to do 75 years ago, to build peace out of the ashes of war. War that had been defined for so much of human history as the struggle of nations against nations, or the kind still raging in countries like Syria and Yemen that the United Nations works to end every day. That's what I imagined that not a gun to represent. But now, another kind of war is brewing, one that increasingly defines the 21st century, where the dominant risk to our own survival is ourselves. A few years or even months ago, if I had suggested that we're all at war with ourselves, it may have felt strange. Especially when, according to so many metrics, humans are on average healthier, wealthier, and more educated than at any time in history. We have more knowledge, more science, more choices today than the founders of the United Nations could have ever imagined. But somewhere along the way, we lost our balance. In fact, think about this. Scientists are considering whether for the very first time in human history, instead of the planet shaping humans, humans are knowingly shaping the planet. It's called the Anthropocene and it represents a new geological era. Today, humans literally have the power to alter the atmosphere and the biosphere in which we live, the power to destroy and the power to repair. No species has ever had that kind of power before. With it, we humans have achieved incredible things together, from closing a giant hole in the ozone layer, to preventing nuclear proliferation, to eradicating smallpox but we have also taken the Earth and all the people on it to the brink. It's neither rational nor fair what we're doing. Today, one-third of all the food produced on the planet goes to waste, while one in ten people go hungry. Inequality has become extreme. 26 people own the same wealth as half of humanity, based on recent data. Today, seven million people die from air pollution each year, while about seven million trees, the very things that keep our air clean, are cut down every few hours. We spend over 10 times more on fossil fuel subsidies alone than we do on all investments in renewable power, prolonging our carbon habit like a drug running through the economy's veins. You don't have to be an economist like me to know that these numbers just don't add up, that our economic paradigm is neither sustainable nor equitable. Climate change rupturing inequalities, record numbers of people forced from their homes by conflict and crisis. For all of our power, these are the weapons we have built, less tangible than a gun, but just as real, just as deadly. Add an epic pandemic, and this year, for the first time in 20 years, global extreme poverty is projected to rise and global human development, a measure of the world's education, health and living standards, is set to decline for the first time since the measure began, 30 years ago. COVID-19 has not changed the future yet, but it has revealed these deep flaws in our present, bringing clarity to the fact that ending this war against ourselves 
is not about trade-offs. It's not about choosing between people or trees, between poverty or progress. It's about choosing to do things differently. In the midst of tragedy, the pandemic has also given us a glimpse of what peace could look like, where we can see the snow cap of a mountain for the first time because the smog has cleared. That's what happened in Nairobi, my home of many years, and one of the cities where air pollution plummeted as human activities slowed down, where it takes 10 days and not 10 years for a government to get support to those in need. That's what happened in Togo, which set up a digital system in record time to get cash to people unemployed or unable to work because of COVID-19 lockdowns. The idea of a green economy that is fair and just, where people and planet live in balance, is not new. But this moment is. And if I have learned one thing since starting out as a young economist years ago, whether I was working with Patan elders to improve the lives of farmers in Pakistan, or navigating the controversies of building colossal dams, it's that systems don't change systems. People change systems. And whether you're a prime minister, a paramedic, or a protester on the street, you can choose to change this one. The people who are choosing to build forward better from COVID-19 build on growing momentum. The momentum of people coming onto the streets in protest, from Beirut to Bogota, Quito to Cairo, or New York to New Delhi, against racism and discrimination, climate change, the price of petrol or the cost of a train ticket, all united in a deep and rising frustration with this war we have been waging against ourselves. This moment builds on the choices of leaders I met as I traveled with the United Nations before lockdown. Leaders who choose to do things differently. Costa Rica made a choice to abolish its army and redirect military spending to education, health and the environment. Today they pay people to protect the trees. And as a result, forests have regenerated and now cover over half of the country. Or consider Denmark. It has chosen to produce all of its electricity from renewable sources by 2050 and has already passed the halfway mark, one of many countries moving in this direction. 30 years ago, powering our economy with renewable energy was science fiction. 10 years ago, it was considered too expensive. Today, renewable energy costs less and creates more jobs than fossil fuels in many parts of the world and offers the potential to put power quite literally back with the people. I saw this in Kenya. Two youth football teams playing their final match in the Mathari settlement at night who kept the game going thanks to solar-powered LED lights. I saw this change, these better choices, with His Majesty the King of Bhutan, just turned 40 years old, who chooses to measure progress based on gross national happiness, not gross domestic product. And I saw it on a rooftop, in Khartoum, with the young people who led the revolution in Sudan in 2019. Young women and men who came out onto the streets with everything to lose, who spoke up for political change with conviction and courage, and who ultimately changed the course of their country. These are the people, the first generation of the Anthropocene, who are writing the next chapter for people and planet in this unprecedented moment. And with each choice they make, with each choice we all make, 
the future we want gets closer. Just like the knotted gun, there is another piece of art at the United Nations that I think about. A poem by a great Persian poet, Saadi. The poem is embroidered on a giant carpet that hangs on the wall inside the UN building, beneath which diplomats and staff from all nations work together every day towards that future we want. Saadi wrote that all the people on the planet are like different parts of the same body, different but united as if limbs of each other. It was that idea that led the generation before us to come together in the wake of war to create the United Nations 75 years ago. The idea that though we are different, we must choose to be united. But now it's our turn. Our challenge is to come together to preserve our collective self-interest and humanity rather than tearing ourselves asunder. People and planet in balance, building lasting, sustainable peace. Thank you. again next time when we will be back with more tips, techniques and cheats to achieve the rewards that you deserve thank you so much for your time today and please set your podcatcher so that you never ever miss us, bye for now and thanks so much for listening Please be advised that this podcast is meant for educational and informational purposes only and is in no way a replacement for legal or medical advice. The opinions contained within are solely those of the interviewers and interviewees and should be received as so. Those seeking help or advice are encouraged to obtain professional legal and medical services.